listeners of Part of Freak Weekly. This is Danielle again. Um, Ryan apparently thinks I have nothing better to do but talk in this very silly voice and record intros because I think he's just like too boring to do it on his own. I don't know. He don't he doesn't do it anymore. Anyway, he tells me that in this episode, um, the gang at Perfor kind of kind of gets off topic a little bit, but that's really nothing new. They kind of babble on or so for, I don't know, about an hour. Um, apparently, Chi's microphone is so bad that she has, like, her own weather system because she sounds like a hurricane. I don't know. Watch out for that. Um, and then Ryan gets, like, hung up on a few things and won't let him go. And I don't know. Maybe he ate bad cheese and had cramps or something. He's in a bad mood. But I don't know. You, you just have to deal with that. Um, there's also... A very solemn farewell memorial service to a beloved member of Pontific Weekly. You won't want to miss it. And, oh yeah, they somehow discussed the Civil War. So you're not really like a history buff. You might want to like just skip it. I don't know. And then, finally, Wynn is back at the end um, for some more interesting tidbits. So stick around. For September 26th, 2007... This episode is even later than the last one. You can totally blame Ryan. Hey, Ron. The next time you're freaked at me for calling you out on the Quidditch pitch. Just remember that. And welcome back to episode 27 of Puffwa, everybody. I am Lauren Green. I am Jen. I'm G. Who's Lauren Green? He's the guy from Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> oh, Say on. hi, Kim. Uh, hi. <laughs> I'm sorry, Kim is laughing at my witty remark to open tonight's episode. Why are you I, laughing so much at Lauren Green? Did you, like, have an affair with Lauren Green I or something? I Lauren Green. Uh, is Lauren Green a girl or a boy? He's a man and he's dead, so be nice to Lauren Green. Oh. I died when he died. Oh, I'm sorry. It's okay. Ooh, ooh, speaking of death, good segue. Um, Perfect weekly <laughs> community. Stop laughing at death. Death is <laughs> not, not good. Death, but... All right. Perfect weekly community. We, we gather together today. We because... gather together. Keep talking over me. <laughs> <laughs> we gather together today because one of us has fallen. We are a very close-knit community. And, and we care very deeply for one another. So when, when, when one of us, you know, falls in the line of duty, we, we would like to gather together for a moment <laughs> to, to say goodbye. Now, you, 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 you all may remember, uh, our, our, our perfect weekly host, Rinna. She hasn't been on in a few weeks, uh, but you, you all remember Rinna. Hi, y'all. How's it going? Rinna recently moved into, we're going to call it, um, the sub. It, oh. it, it's she's very deeply into in the suburbs very 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 deeply in the suburbs i live in the sticks and uh 
R- Rina, you know, after moving into into the into the suburbs, my whole life has been an exercise in downsizing. Um, determined we don't have a lawnmower, and because Rina is the cheapest person on the planet, file your taxes. You know, after myself. <laughs> Rena decided to purchase a We're goat. Sorry. No offense, Kim, who is also in the middle of her goat purchasing. And she purchased a goat. Bernard. And Bernard inspired many of us. He was our inspiration. And I just put him in there and let him eat down the grass. Do you want to borrow him? Did you ever know that you're my hero? He was our hero. She didn't want to break her mower or risk breaking her mower on all the junk that's da, out da, there. Da, da, da. So Bernard showed so up. So Bernard. And he was our our hood ornament, and he was our mascot. Bernard's a very even-tempered goat, and we, <laughs> and we, and we carried pictures of Bernard with us because Bernard was our leader. People think I run the show. Bernard was the heart and soul of Parfait Weekly. <laughs> no, I am. Well, Jen is, and immediately after Jen, we have the goat. If anything happens to Jen, which is like it's like President Weekly. Kennedy needing to take drugs, like Jen can go at any time. You know, like not like not go go, Jen. I mean, like cut yourself with a credit card, Joe. I'm sorry. All right. Anyway, and the- <laughs> Jen is dropping anytime. But um, poor Bernard um was struck and killed by a bolt of lightning uh, recently. Dun, dun, dun. And uh, we would like to, on behalf of Pyrofic Weekly, express our condolences to Rinna, her family, and her front lawn. Bernard, you will be missed. I miss you already, man. Okay, you guys are the ones who obviously, you know, laugh during people's funerals. I wore a really big hat. Very bad. Very, I'm very it's a nervous bad. habit. Jen, do you laugh at funerals? I laugh whenever I'm sad or scared or anything. It's like this nervous. <laughs> or happy or troubled, yeah, bothered, drunk. Bothered. Bernard, may you rest in peace. And <laughs> wherever you are now, may you be with April 4th Dumbledore's, Dumbledore's flock of fellow goats. Bye-bye, buddy. Uh, next bit of news tonight. You may know this if you, you know, go on iTunes or if you read my little newsletters on Potterfic Weekly or if you're just really bored. Potterfic Weekly is an explicit podcast. Now, what does that mean? I don't really know. iTunes has asked that any podcast that is explicit have a label on it that says this podcast is explicit. But they don't define explicit. They don't tell you what explicit means and... You try to label Potterfic Weekly with anything. You know, Jen, you know, being the heart and soul of Potterfic Weekly is unlabelable. You cannot label Jen <laughs> and you cannot okay. label Potterfic Weekly. So we just are assuming Potterfic Weekly must be explicit just based on everything that has happened on the show and based on what happened during the commentary episode. And we just, we decided yeah. to put this label. So just to anyone out there, there's going to be no change in the quality of the show. For that, we apologize. <laughs> there's going to be no change in the production of the show. For that, we also apologize. Uh, we just are going explicit because we thought it was funny. Jen can take the gloves off. <laughs> I'm not sure you want that to happen. Jen, take the gloves off. Okay, they're off. You don't want Jen and I not to censor ourselves. (laughs) I have to censor myself on a daily basis. Kim is like run for the hills right now, and for that, is the smartest member of this podcast. Jen, I just have to ask, have you been attacked by any wildlife this week? No, but, but you know, we found a dead rat in our studio today. 
What? I've never seen a ride before. I didn't even think we had rides here. But apparently we do, and it was dead. And the mystery is, how did it die? So we live next to the pest control people. So we went down there, and we were, like, investigating the dead rat. Like, to make sure, because I thought maybe they were, like, wolves, and, and they traveled in packs. Cause it was so, in your studio, like, though, right? It was in the, well, we have a, um, it's our, we have a stu- our studio, and then there's the office that's a different room, and then we have, like, the prop room. Uh-huh. And it was dead in the prop room. You thought a wild pack of wolves broke into your... No, rat, like a, a, a pack of rats. No, like, but you thought know. the wolves killed the rat. No, so you thought I thought a- the rat traveled in packs like wolves. Oh. I didn't actually think there was wolves. <laughs> I thought you thought a wild pack of wolves <laughs> broke into your prop room, killed the rat, left no sign, and shut the door There was them. no sign of trauma. There, there was no sign. <laughs> you inspected the rat for signs I of trauma? I did. I was like, how did this rat die? Chen, you can't be like touching wild rats. I didn't touch it. I just looked at it. You like kicked it with your foot. The obvious answer is that uh, one of the other rats poisoned him. I know. I think it's a conspiracy, honestly. So I will keep you guys informed. I know. I was shocked. Was there any sign? So there was no gun found nearby? No, no there was no weapon. Yeah, no, nothing. How could you see the gun? No, it was like 12 inches long. I mean, the gun would it be really It was practically small. a baby. Look really well. Hold on. How big are your rats? I don't know. It's the first rat I've ever seen in my entire life. In real life. Like a real life rat. All right, Jen. Rats are not a foot long normally. And if they are, they're not the babies. No, I meant like a real baby. It's like the size of a real baby. Okay, Jen. That's a cougar. <laughs> and you- it was like a ruler long. It was so gross. You have Master Slater living in your studio. And I'm looking around for mutated turtles. So that's just me. I will. I will start looking because I was concerned. I was really concerned. It's not a rat. That's a possum. <laughs> Maybe it was a possum. Jen, I have to say, I'm, so, I'm somewhat bored with your story this week. Now, the rat never made any <laughs> attempt to attack you. No, no, I know. You didn't give the I didn't trip any, over it. You didn't I, give, <laughs> I could there see you like in the middle of like, you know, treating a, you know, a customer, you trip over the rat and go flying and wedding pictures everywhere oh, and no, chaos. No, it was and, there like early this morning. Like, and so I called my dad and I was like, ah, I can't take care of it. But you know. Okay. Well. Wow. Yeah, I know. more like a possum to me. Are you sure it wasn't a possum? It like, might. I don't know big, what a possum looks a like. Possum. I don't, what's a possum? Aren't like they a, like a beaver? Is a no, possum a beaver? No, it looks like a big rat. And it has, like, the same kind of tail. It has that kind of, um, like, fleshy-looking tail with the different rings on it. And they will really? play dead. Yeah, they will <gasps> play dead. No, it That's was, no. They, it's gone. We no longer have rats. And, like, we made the pest control people come down and check because I was like, we're being infested with rats. But it was just the one rat. Which I was like, how, you know? One rat That's really weird. isn't, like, an infestation, though. One rat is just really annoying. Well, it's a goner. Maybe yeah, it got struck by lightning. I don't, don't know. Don't joke about Burner. He's been <laughs> gone a week. Do not make Burner <laughs> jokes. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Burner. Right. I apologize for it. What? You need a studio cat. You need uh, a thesaurus for your studio. That's true. An yeah. Cat. You need, you need I like, have cats. You can have them. You need like an armed cat that can take out these an rats armed. if necessary. I need the cat need from Shrek. You need a cat like I have. 
Right. Yes. I think, it, okay. I think it's time to move on with the episode. And we're actually going to yes. add Meg to tonight's podcast because, quite frankly, I'm outnumbered. She finds us boring. And I, so- I, I, I do, and I'm outnumbered by the South. And, and basically, I just I, 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 we need backup. So we're, we're bringing Meg into the show. And I'm in the North. Well, you're kind of, what, what side were you on in the, in the Civil War? What side was I on? Yeah. I wasn't born yet. But yeah, but if you North. were, like, were you, you were you with the North? No offense, Jen. Damn Yankee. You're a damn Yankee. Jen, what side were you on? I think we were fighting to keep slavery. You were pro-slavery. Hello? Hey, hey, Meg. <laughs> Meg, are you pro-slavery Hi. or are you against slavery? We're in the middle of a very okay. important discussion right now. I'm very <laughs> anti-slavery. Kansas is kind of weird about that. It depends on where you're from in Kansas as to what your political affiliation was. Yeah, because y'all are, like, in the middle. Yeah, Kansas, James Brown. I know, that's hard. Jen is a a master at U.S. geography. When I told her I was from (laughs) Massachusetts, her exact response was, that's one of the little ones in the top, right? (laughs) So. Well, I mean, it's hard because Texas is, like, hard to miss. Well, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, we just have to point and, you know, there it is. But I don't know where those little ones are. Let's get into tonight's chapters. We're discussing chapters 39 through 45 of A Year Like None Other by Aspen in the Sunlight. Uh, and just to, I just want to start us off tonight. Last week, I commented on uh, the character of Snape and how well I thought that Aspen was able to take this character from a canon character and, ma- and mold him into the character she wants to tell a story about and also make it a, a very believable transformation. And I said last week that she more or less succeeded with that. And then I started reading the chapters tonight. And just to give everyone an overview, the more I read from from these, uh, you know, seven chapters, the more I read, the more I liked. But it was definitely like an upward curve. I had a lot of problems early on. And the more I read, the more I got over it, got over it, got over it. But in the early chapters, I don't know if it was, you know, my caffeine intake or if it was, you know, the position of the moon or the fact that Tom and <laughs> yeah, Nino had a press conference. I don't know what did it or John Kerry was on C-SPAN. Something. I don't know. I had a real hard what time. What you the, and John Kerry today? I don't know. I'm doing Little House on the Prairie and Soundcheck. I'm on John Kerry now. I can't be stopped. But uh, I had a really hard time with the earlier uh, chapters tonight because here's my thing. All right. And, and I've had this conversation with a few people this week. So I'm going to sound really prepared here. Don't get used to it. All right. Now, the character of, of Snape. Now, in in the canon, he's this very sadistic character a lot of the times. He takes great pleasure in not, you know, being the, the, the bad cop, not being the guy that, you know, makes you stronger by, you know, forcing you to learn and not letting you be complacent. He's, like, really cruel to kids. And he's not a good teacher and he doesn't care if the kids learn anything, and very, very... I I have to say, I disagree with him not being a good teacher. Yes, he's bad, like, socially, but I think he's smart, and I think his kids do learn, and and if you're looking at a good teacher... Unless you're in Gryffindor. The Gryffindors still learn things. I mean, just because... I have to disagree with you that he's a bad teacher. Yes, he's a bad person. <laughs> well, not person. <laughs> but, but I, I mean, if your kids are learning something, it kind of doesn't matter if you're a hard ass or not. Well, gee, weigh in on this because you're into education. I mean, my thing is. Yeah, I'm into education. She practices <laughs> teaching, you know, on the side. Um, right, right. Snape goes into class. He puts, you know, he, it's like the Oc Lumensi lesson. He goes into class and he puts, 
you know, the, 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 the potion for today's class on the board and he gives no indication of how you should make it. He screams at you if you don't do it perfectly and you don't learn anything. He's not a teacher. He's basically like with Harry when he tried to teach him in Order of the Phoenix. He walks into class assuming you should already know how to do this you know, commands you to perform and berates you if you don't do it perfectly. And even if you do it perfectly, if you're a Gryffindor, it's a piece of crap. And if you marginally get it done correctly and you're a Slytherin, you get all the house points. I just don't feel that he's a good teacher now. But, you know, and, and let me just finish here to you and then you can comment on it. I mean, you know, okay, so that's the character of Snape that we're dealing with from the canon. Now, I, I want to say this first. As, you know, there there are many, many you know, parts and sides of this Snape that Aspen has written that I really enjoy. I, I enjoy reading him most of the time. But, like I've been saying all week, he comes across for large stretches of time, at least to me, like he's Ward Cleaver. And he's sitting, you know, in his leather chair, and I'm picturing him with, like, the smoking jacket and the pipe. And he's got it completely together, and he's totally sensitive and in touch with, you know, everything that's going on with Harry. And he's giving him, you know, the shoulder massage, and he's holding his hand, and he's like a therapist and he knows you know exactly what the right thing to say and it seems very inconsistent what we're asked to believe here is he was wrong about harry and he didn't understand that harry wasn't an egotistical little twerp and just getting that knowledge understanding more about harry led him to this you know come to jesus moment but that does not explain why he was so cruel before you know if, if he was a cruel person he should still be a cruel person now and he wasn't just cruel to Harry, he was cruel to everybody. And it just seems like she wanted her character to be a good guy, so she erased those parts of his character. And if that wasn't the intention, I just don't think that particular aspect carried over. Because Ward Cleaver Snape, as I call him, does not seem like he comes from anywhere. And it just it seems very inconsistent with the character. And when he's in that kind of mode, I just roll my eyes. I can't accept him when he's like that. Well, I have to say that I really... I think you do have a good point in that this Snape is a different Snape. But I think that also the Snape in canon, what we're seeing is a very outward public Snape. And, like, we don't really get to see a behind-the-scenes Snape. Like, I think we got to see a glimmer of it in Deathly Hallows. And we see that, like, as a young kid, he was a little bit different. And, yeah, he kind of grew up. But but we really don't know that much about his personal side and his at-home side. And, and who's to say it has to be exactly the same rude, sarcastic, mean? Like, in, I mean, just taking it that one step that maybe he does do all this stuff to make sure that, I mean, he's a spy, He's like the best spy of ever, that ever lived. Why can't he be just this horrid, awful person in public and then actually be kind and intelligent and actually have feelings? I think it's in this, cha- in this set of chapters that says, what, you think Slytherins don't have feelings too? It's just a different side of him. And yeah, it may be a little bit more mature than... I mean, I'll, I'll admit that. I think that this Snape, and I think that's why I like this Snape so much, is because he seems so logical and mature and intelligent that he can overcome, like he can see what a piece of crap he was and like how he was treating Harry and everything. And he can try to overcome it by being polite and making up and being mature. And I think this is like, I know that there's several instances where he will make a comment or something, and it sounds to me like he's just honestly making the effort to be different and more mature and be more of a parental figure. Like, I really think he's had a, oh gosh, I know I'm going to say this word wrong, paradigm yep. shift. 
paradigm shift. And I think he's like reevaluated his entire life. And I think in some cases when you do that, yeah, you may change in personality a little bit. But I don't necessarily mean it. I, I still enjoy reading it, his character. I have a response. Even if it's yeah. different. I have a response to that, but I want to hear what the others think. Chi, what do you think? Well, as far as believable character development, I would say most of the time that it is hard to swallow at best because what you have is somebody having this light from heaven and then suddenly everything in their life changes, their whole life perspective changes. And that happens sometimes to certain people, but changing is really hard Mm. and changing who you essentially are is even more so. So it that I like is things that we occasionally see, you know, in these early parts of the chapters, we don't get to see him very much, but he gradually comes back. The um, sarcastic, use your big boy type of figure, as opposed to the, oh, let me fix it for you figure, you know? Okay. More than anything else, I think his parents, he was actually going to procreate, God save us all. Um, I think Faith as a father would be more concerned about independence than you would be about emotional processes. Being able to take care of yourself, you know, would be more important to him than actually being a mature person emotionally. That was, that's my interpretation of J.K. Rowling's uh, Snape with the canon that we have. But I do, I do want to make the point that this is not a Snape fake. This is a Harry fake. Yeah, but Snape's a huge character in this. If this was a fic where I got the sense that because Snape learned that he misjudged Harry. He, for whatever reason, reevaluated his entire life and demonstrably changed as a result of it. Like she said, change is hard. I could accept that if that was the story Aspen was trying to write. But I get the sense that the story that she is writing is more of a now that you, the reader, have come into the dungeons and you've seen, you've had dinner with Snape and you played Scrabble with Snape and you've seen him at work and you've seen him on his day off and you've gone like, you know, antiquing with Snape. Like you, you get, you, you, you get like up close and personal with Snape. You realize that this is the character that we've known all along. But there's this whole side to him that we never really considered. And there's many times during the story where she does do that. She'll throw something at you that takes an element of the canon and twists it on his head. And you get to go, oh, okay, that's an interesting interpretation. But I don't get the sense that she's saying that he's reevaluated everything. I get the sense that the guy who for moments can seem like Ward Cleaver could also go to his classroom the next day and be extremely sadistic and be extremely cruel to some poor Hufflepuff kid. And it just doesn't seem like the same character should be capable of all of those shifts. It's almost like he has, and maybe I'm spoiling something, I don't know, I've only read up to 45. It almost seems like he has multiple personality disorder. It almost seems like one moment he's Ward Cleaver and he's in control of everything, and the next moment he's screaming at Hufflepuff for no reason, and then the next... It's like it's, it's, it's difficult for me to swallow that this is all the same person. Now, let me say this. The character that he is shown as later in these chapters from essentially the moment of the adoption, especially the moment when they're all playing wizard Scrabble, you know, there, 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 there's touches throughout the whole thing where that guy, I love him. I love that character. He's, he's a fun character. I love reading him. I don't really love, you know, the, 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 the caring Snape because Snape never learned to care and he wouldn't be this good at it at this point in his life. He'd be very clumsy and very, very awkward. I feel but I love that character, but he just doesn't seem like Snape. Now, I love that character. I enjoy reading him. 
but again, he doesn't feel like Snape. And it's like having a story where it's told about George Weasley, but he's not funny, and he's you know a very intellectual guy. And you can make an argument, well, the character that this you know unknown author creates is this marvelous character, but he's still supposed to be George Weasley, and he's not. And I think that's what I'm saying. I, I had a lot of difficulty swallowing Snape in these chapters. The same thing with Draco. I feel like this is not the same Draco, but that said, that's easy for me to accept, because Draco has had his life turned on its head, and he's 16 years old, and it's common for someone that age to really become, you know, a different person over the course of two, three years. So this Draco does not feel like canon Draco at all to me, but I don't care because I really don't like canon Draco. I love her Draco, so I really enjoy Draco in this fic a lot more than I enjoy uh, Snape. Well, I think that Aspen has set a precedent for this caring at home and not so caring in the classroom. He's more dedicated to things that he has more of an interest in. Her Snape is more dedicated to his Slytherins than to any other house, and that's a canon Snape, too. She has him pretty dedicated to Draco, but he hasn't adopted Draco, so he's not really strongly helping Draco. But when he decides to adopt Harry, he takes it very much to heart, and he makes it his project his goal i guess to to make harry healthy and it's we've seen him do that all through canon he he works for the order he works for the side of right against wrong i guess as we see it and he does it diligently he does it with every part of his being and i think that's what he's doing here is that he has decided that he can be good for harry that harry needs somebody to be there for him and he's the one who can do it, and so he's throwing his whole heart into it. So maybe he is a little bipolar in that he's a real creep in the classroom to three houses, and and but he's always been overly protective of the Slytherins. He's always refused to take points from them. Right, right. So he has shown where he is possessive of what's his, that he is partial to what's his, that he's... He cares about what's his, and he cares That's about his That's a really good duty. point. I hadn't, I hadn't actually thought about that it that way. He's really duty-oriented, and he's really caring when it comes to what he, what cares he considers <laughs> his duty. Right. And he has come to care about Harry. He's come to see himself as one who can spy on Voldemort, the one who can bring the necessary information to the Order, despite the fact that he's disliked, that he's mistrusted that he's uh, not part of the clique. He has continually done what need, what needs to be done throughout all of it. So he's shown that he can be dedicated to a cause with all of his soul. And I think that is what makes it believable for me because that is the Snape I see taking care of Harry. He's jumping in there and saying, this is something else that needs me, someone else, because he's he's caring about a human being now. But you can see the difference right now between the way he treats Harry and the way he treats Draco and the way he treats the Slytherins. It's like a step system. He's way more caring for Harry, a little less caring for Draco, and a little less caring for the Slytherins in general. Yeah. Because that's how he sees them as his responsibility and, and how he takes his dedication to them. I don't know. I, I was having, I went back and forth a lot as I read the chapters, as I have done the whole time I've been reading the fic. Mostly the only reason I went back and forth was because I've already said it in my mind that this isn't canon Snape. 
I mean, the whole time I'm reading it, I'm like, oh, really? He really says that? Or he really did? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I just think that it, se- it really seems far-fetched for Snape. And so it kind of pulls me out of the fic for a minute Okay. when I see that. In some regard, yeah, in some regards. There's some things he says that's dead on canon Snape. And I think that's the difference. Well, yeah. I think it also helps that, like, constantly the characters are questioning the other's motives. Do you know what I mean? Like, if it was just suddenly la-di-da, let's hold hands and run through the daisies, like, and it, we, there's moments like that, I will say, but at the same time, I think that she is good, that she equally balanced. Harry will bring up a point of the past, or why is everything, di- somebody will ask, why is this different now, or do you know what I mean? And it kind yeah. of, and then you can kind of go, oh, okay. And it fits better. Yeah, and I will so, say that. she She's not like one of those, I'm trying to think of like a good example of this. Like, she's well, not, We've all read them. I know what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, she's not the author that the characters all sound different, but no one seems to realize that all of a sudden Hermione is sleeping with all the guys in Gryffindor, and no one suddenly <laughs> realized that Ron yeah. is very sensitive and, you know, enjoys <laughs> to wear high heels. Like, no one is realizing the fa- like every like people are picking up on the fact that this doesn't seem right. This is and there's and and that's that's good. I mean, the one thing I'll say, and I don't want to get the impression that I'm not enjoying the story. I mean, this just to to recap, this is my first non-canon story. This is my first story that hasn't been you know a romantic ship story or a you know how is Harry going to defeat Voldemort story. This is my first you know emotional story that focused on the character of Snape. I've never really focused on his character before in fix that I've read. So this is very new for me. So I just want to start off with that. <laughs> Everyone's giggling at me like this. Is I'm like, laughing because <laughs> I, was, <laughs> what, what? I was thinking how this fic has changed my life. <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious. Well, you, you're saying what? about how it's like my first fic that I haven't, you know, that is different. And I'm completely in the same boat as you as far as it being a different I've never read anything like that that wasn't canon and, you know, that type of thing. But it's changed my life because all the time now I'm thinking, like, of people on in my real life on psychological, like, levels. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm constantly thinking, like, maybe something from their childhood has made them react to this situation yeah, that way. Well, like, constantly. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, <laughs> I'm totally overthinking, like... Hmm, why does he want a glass of milk right now? Maybe he was deprived of milk when he was young. That's an interesting question. <laughs> I just want to point out now, this is, this is what I'm, I just want to stop and talk to Aspen for a moment. Now, when Meg says, this changed my life, she pokes her head out and is like, really? What? And now she's like, oh dear God. And now she's like, they're so forgiven. Like, I just think that, like, but that's like a really good point. It's like, one of the things that I, I like that she does is that she can take Parts of, you know, some people will not like this. I personally do. She'll take parts of canon. She'll take the fact that McGonagall shushed them and told them to go up back to their dormitories in the first book when they said someone's trying to steal the Philosopher's Stone. She, you know, and she turned that into, you know, an analysis of McGonagall versus Snape on, you know, who's the better head of house. I said in previous podcasts that, you know, you're really, and Meg, we had a conversation about this. How good of a job does Aspen do in making us believe that everything that's happened has been natural. And, and you know, and we're judging this fic harshly because it's so good. I mean, it, it can stand up to scrutiny and we can really, we can really play with it. Um, you know, okay. Harry is now, as we leave Harry here, he has been adopted by Severus Snape. He is, you know, a half Slytherin. He is on the outs with Gryffindor house. He's been accused of having an affair with Severus Snape by his best friend. 
uh, you know, go down the list of, he's lost his magic. Um, he, he gives Dudley Dursley hugs. He has a pet snake. Like, this is where this character has been brought to over 45 chapters. Now, do we believe that, you know, the events that that has led to this have been natural? And for the most part, I do. And one of the ways that Aspen gets us there is she takes parts of the story and, you know, of the canon, and she, you know, compiles, like, a case for us, like we're in a courtroom. Well, look how McGonagall treated you know, Harry in, in, in the first book. Now, now look how Snape treats his Slytherins and that proves that Snape is the better head of the house. And you're like, okay, okay, I can see that. And she'll add, you know, you know, more, more evidence to that. You know, she'll add, you know, information about Remus and how Remus, you know, is trying to get Harry ice cream while Snape is showing him the hard facts of life. And she'll get into Dumbledore and, and show that, you know, Dumbledore is training Harry as a warrior and isn't looking out for his personal safety and so forth. And you'll be like, okay, especially after Deathly Hallows, you know, that's true. So you can buy into that a lot more. Now, there's some points where she adds in her own interpretations. And I'm, I'm not sure how I feel about those. Let me, let me pull you guys. Um, one is that Dumbledore could have gone and saved Harry from the Chamber of Secrets at any time, and that he could have saved Ginny at any time, but he chose not to. I like that. Do you think that seems like what really happened in canon, or do you feel as though that was kind of... Well, yeah, I think, I think that we find out that Dumbledore put people through things so that... I mean, I think that kind of defines Dumbledore's character a little bit. Well, yeah, it's like Phil says. It's like, I could help you, but I won't. And actually, the more I think about it, the more I do like that one particular slant you know, on the character. I mean, that one's, I never actually thought of it when I read Chamber Secrets, but the more I think about that, you know, the fact that, the, that Fox randomly shows up, Dumbledore is obviously not, you know, like, sleeping then. Like, Dumbledore is obviously aware that something's happening. So, yeah, so that part kind of fits. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. Like when Harry, you know, has the nightmare and he goes to yeah. Snape for a potion and Snape says, you're sleeping here with me tonight because I have to make sure you're not allergic to the potion. Well, yeah, it was kind of like a medicinal Yeah, thing. although I saw that as, you know, with the, bur- with the bright red flashers going plot device, plot device, plot device. It, it, it felt like she was really forcing these characters into, you know, very close quarters to, to advance the plot there. And there, there was a lot of those moments in a short space of time. We have there's just some moments where I felt like the plot did get forced, and that the characters did get pushed together a little bit faster than they otherwise would have, which is ironic because we're in chapter 45. Yeah, I mean, I guess some parts are gonna feel a little forced because the story is obviously taking a direction that's not canon. And when that happens, you have to kind of go, okay, I'm gonna introduce this in here because. This story has to happen this way, and so I need a way to get there. This is going to happen, and that's just kind of how she did it. I mean, yeah, obviously, I, for the relationship to work, they need to get on better terms. And if this is a way that Harry, her Harry, can get used to the new relationship, I don't have a problem with it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean here's the thing. If you're going to buy into the relationship, you need to buy into the relationship. And I think that if you're going to say, okay, we're going to take Harry and make him want to be adopted by Severus Snape and want him to be, we're not there yet, but want him to be on better terms with Draco Malfoy than his own friends, you have to feel it and you have to believe it's plausible. And I think one of the strengths that you see here, in, in say, in regards to Draco Malfoy, is that Draco 
wants to be on Harry's side. Harry is, you know, the, is the vanguard of the, of the side he feels that can win. He needs to stay on Harry's good side because if he alienates Harry, Harry will one day become so powerful that Harry could be the one to end him and cast him back towards those he's just betrayed. So that feels natural. This isn't, you know, like a case of Draco Malfoy feels terrible about the time he did the thing to Harry, so now he's, you know, getting a milk. It feels natural, you know, to, to many extents. And everyone, we just took a short break for a moment. If you can notice tonight, uh, Chi was calling in by phone, and now we have her back on her microphone. Chi's headset is in 27 different pieces. It's been slowly <laughs> dying. She bought it for $4 at the gas station, like, seven no. years ago. So, she, and, like, it, it got so bad that Jen and I, we made Chi, like, run out and buy a new microphone. But, you know, like, it'll be here soon. But, you know, Chi is having some audio issues tonight. So we're just going to talk about her, and she'll have no idea. Hi, Chi. Hi, how are you guys? Doing? How are you doing? Just if, I you, am fine. if you can hear me, breathe twice through your left nostril. Now, no. <laughs> I love. Well, here's the thing: she's going to be at my wedding, so I can't piss she off too much, or else like I'll randomly walk up and she'll like tackle me. Well, no, I think this tells a lot about our family relationship that we are at the point right now where we can laugh, and you know, it's just yeah. stupid. It's just funny. I think, I think it says a lot for our family relationship that we're all invited to Ryan's wedding. I think that is too. <laughs> we're gonna have a Potterfic Weekly table. We better. Oh, can I just it. tell yeah. you that the episode that we had where we talked about Danielle, like how we were gonna podcast for my wedding, and I'm like, Danielle will never hear this. Danielle heard it, and she like punched me in the arm really hard. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like it really hurt. <laughs> <laughs> and she was injured. Like she had, she has caramel burns. Like that was. <laughs> she wants. She wants us at the wedding, right? She, yeah. Oh yeah. You're coming. I know to why the- I wasn't invited. Okay. Good. Well, you, you, have, you know, you, you can. You we can, haven't been invited yet. It's like a, it's like two years away. Yeah. Save yeah. the day. Well, Cam, I know, but but everybody else is going, and they all know it, and, and I didn't. <laughs> Cam, you're invited, but when I say guest, I really mean the goat. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I'm replacing oh, Bernard. I'm like on the rebound. I need a new ghost. Okay, okay. Ask, ask me the Go question. Rebound. All right, we're asking. All right, we're asking the question. We're asking the question. Okay, because I think, and we're going to come back to this over the next seven or eight episodes, however we have left, because I think I do. I really want to get to plot tonight too, because we'll, I'm really we'll squeeze plot into the last. No, 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 squat. No, squat. The squat is important. You just say the no. squat. Uh, yes, I did, and then I made fun of myself for doing it. No, the plot. I love this plot that okay. was in this chapters. Right, so we well, have to discuss right. it. Last question. We have to get there. Okay, okay. Last question before we get there. Jen, do you feel as though the character of Canon Snape is cruel? Is cruel? Yes. Yes, to the Gryffindor main characters, absolutely. Okay. She, do you feel as though the Gryffindor... The, the, oh, oh, never mind. She, you sound wonderful. Um, Chi, uh, do you feel as though... What? Chi, <laughs> are you trying to contact me using Morse code? <laughs> no. Alright, no, just... Curious. <laughs> All right. Uh, Chi, I thought like, you think you're funny. Right. Chi, <laughs> do you feel as though the character of Snape in canon is cruel? Um, I would say from a teacher's standpoint, from an educator's standpoint, I would say he's unnecessarily harsh. Okay. He has unrealistic expectations. He's one of those people that um, we, there's a lot of music teachers like like this. I'm yeah, I think maybe that's that why understand. I don't have a problem with him because right. he's just like a music Right, because it's we, true. Well, once you've done music for so long, like, it's really hard for me to teach piano lessons. Maybe Jen is the same way because I don't remember how 
I do things. So, you know, one thing about playing piano that's different than playing trumpet or, or tuba or something is that there's two lines of music. I have a minor in organ. I'm like, wait till you get there and you read three steps. Yeah, exactly. Or when you're a conductor and you read eight. But anyway, a lot of people yeah. will ask, you know, what's, what, how hard, I mean, how do you do that? And I don't know how to explain how you read two lines of music. I just know that I can. So, yeah. I mean, and a lot of music teachers are that way. I can't explain to you why my voice sounds the way that it does or, you know, how I, you know, or uh, how I got to be so good at this or whatever. All I know is make it sound like this. And I think Snape does that a lot. He's like, I don't understand how I can, you know, how I know these things because it's just, in, it's just inherently obvious to me. So it should be inherently obvious to you. So just do it. And, um, that's, that's a problem because that's not our goal. Our, our goal as educators is to realize that everybody is different and everybody has a, um, unique different. learning style. So, and so we should try to, um, he reminds me of a, co- one of my college professors, honestly. Yeah, he re- he, he's like very much time to class, class and you better be prepared and I'm going to tell you what you need to know and then there's going to be a test on Friday and you better just listen to what I'm telling you and get it. Right. That's kind of how I feel like he is. I don't have time to explain to you this terribly, ridiculously difficult concept. You're just going to have to figure it out on yourself, by yourself. Right. So you're telling, us that, so you're telling us that Severus Snape is your, is your college music teacher. Yeah, basically. Basically. So, well, I think maybe that's why I don't have as pr- a big a problem with his teaching style. <laughs> he's in the classroom and he's like beating some young Hufflepuff. Jim walks up and hugs him around the waist. I like you. Oh, well, you know, he's very much like a couple of music theory professors I've had, you know? Yeah, Just kind of, exactly. Music theory professors are the worst. We'd like to that's apologize to that's music what I wanted. No, that's what I wanted to be. <laughs> I want, that's really? what I was going to go to grad school for, yeah. Wow. You're a better woman than I am, Duncan. Someone's cutting us off. Okay, go. I hope your teachers at least look like Al Rickman. No, God. I, I would go to class, like, more than my class. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just here yep. today. Don't mind she me. She climbs into bed at the end of the day, and Jen's laying there. Oh, I'm sorry. I have a question about, um, about <laughs> um, you, you don't have really good-looking professors. Look, I made you cookies. Do you have 45 minutes? I have a question. <laughs> Oh yeah. my Snape Hermione fan fictions are polluting my mind. Okay. Anyway, uh Meg disagrees. Meg, go. Yeah, I disagree because I think that he's I don't think he's really as mild as even the meanest horrible teacher. <laughs> you know. I mean he just he's not just cruel like, you know, you need to come to class prepared. And I mean he says some really cruel, unnecessary things that aren't teaching anybody anything. Except that he's, you know, awful. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> and, and not just, and not, I, I also don't think it's only Harry, Ron, and Hermione. I think it was also, you know, Neville and well, Hufflepuffs. Yeah. So I mean, but and I'm like a canon example of that, you know, is in Goblet of Fire when Draco makes Hermione's teeth, you know, gargantuan, and he says he sees no difference. Yeah. I mean, that's a, a perfect example of him just being a total jerk for no reason. So, I mean, I guess that's my problem. In Snape seems so together and so sensitive and such like such a role model. And maybe that's what I'm going for. He seems like he could be such a role model in this in in this fic at many times. I have trouble believing that he would have stooped to that level in Goblet of the Fire 
And then, I mean, look at Ron. Ron at the end. And he's like that at home. Yeah, like, yeah. It's like, it's like, yeah, Yeah. he shouldn't be able to be that fuzzy and warm if he's going to be that cruel. Because look at Ron later on in the story. When, when Harry and Ron meet at the end of, of, of this, of these chapters for tonight, he's accusing Harry of having a sordid affair with Snape. He's accusing Snape of being a child molester. He's attacking Slytherins. He is, he is so angry. And he, 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 he pisses off Harry so much that Harry literally almost brings the roof crashing down to, to the point where it comes to blows. And Ron is so pig-headed and so stubborn because he is so angry at what he's hearing. Now, okay, let's go back then. Snape sees James Potter in his classroom every day. So Snape is angry and he's so furious every day that even if you could buy into the fact that he's that furious and that angry all of the time, that you wouldn't... Now, okay, now that works for Ron, but also Ron is not this carefree, you know, know, very, you know, like giving you a shoulder massage kind of guy. He's kind of you know, pig-headed all the time. So I think that that's my thing. It's It, it just seems like you're really shifting from one spec, ex, extreme to the other, and that, I think, is is my issue here. Although, like, let me give you an example, because I think I'm, 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 I'm giving a lot of criticism here, so let me balance it a little bit tonight. I love the part in the story when they play Scrabble, and they have that family moment, and Harry's cheating, and Snape won't hear of it, because, of course, those are words, Harry wouldn't lie, and, you know, he's laughing at them, and it's, it's a fun, and they're, and they're, and they're compromising over how they get Harry out of his room. I enjoyed that. I had fun reading that, because I liked all of those characters in that scene. It's just, like, I feel like they're, you know, it's like, it's like, I love, you know, uh, when he says, you idiot child, Although sometimes I feel like, you know, you throw you idiot child in there because it reminds us that Snape is a rough guy. But you, but when you, you're giving someone a shoulder massage and you're calling them you idiot child, it just, it doesn't flow. I think that's, I, I think my... Oh, it, I like it when he says that. Oh, I do too. But it, I don't like it when he says that when he's being so sensitive because it seems weird. It doesn't seem like Snape, like, like Snape, like if he were written as a consistent dry sense of humor... You idiot child, but you get the sense that's just affection, and he doesn't outwardly show his emotions and show his respect for Harry, and you get the sense that he tolerates him, and he's kind of awkward around Harry because he's never really had that closeness with another person, and you get the sense over time that you know that that that's you know affection, that's fine. But this is a Snape who's willing to sit down and say, "Share my bed," and you know, I'm I'm willing to you know say up. Well, it was you medicinal. Feel... <laughs> it was like, um, it wasn't. You, it's not like some pervy. Like, oh, I know it wasn't. I know it wasn't. I know it wasn't. But you know, <laughs> I lo- I'm picturing. I'm sorry. I'm picturing Jen in bed with Alan Rickman, and Alan Rickman's <laughs> wife comes in, and Jen's totally like, "It was medicinal." <laughs> <laughs> Well, Whatever excuse you can come up with. I'm gonna say that I I like that this Snape is different from Canon Snape because I don't like reading about Snape and Canon. I don't like reading his being a jerk, and I like being able to say that she can redeem a character, and I can enjoy reading it. I like Absolutely. that he is like the ideal. I mean, but obviously you haven't read on, right. and there is some. I mean, he's not the perfect parent. He he makes mistakes. He holds prejudice. He's still learning, but it's and it's a fictional character based on a canon character. I think she did a really good job taking us from him hating Snape. I mean, him hating Harry to him understanding. She gave us the understanding and reasoning as to why. He is being a different person now. She showed us in a conversation in the office that the reason 
that Snape, I mean, he even told Harry why he treated Harry so badly. Because every time I saw you in pain, I thought, I, I relished in the fact that I was hurting James. Yeah, but no, like, it is. My, I think my problem, my, my problem, Jen, is, 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 I think is in the application. I think when you see Snape, and I'm picturing Father Knows Best, and I'm picturing this, you know, wholesome, you know, very intuitive father figure, it doesn't, it doesn't sell to me that he could have been someone who would have relished in, in, in a small child's pain. I think that's my issue with it. I think the example you just gave was was a sense of of, of um, tell me, don't show me. I, I wish it had gone the other way. And let me just say this: I mean, because we want to move on to other topics tonight. Way in the beginning, I said, "Look, you're going to take Snape from canon. You're gonna you're gonna show me how you get from A to B, and then once you get to B, I'm going to judge you on how well the transition was made, and then I'm going to tell you later on what I think of the character you have created and how he works in your fic." And like when we did Melinda's fic, you know, I had a lot of trouble with the transition. I think she would agree with that. Um, and obviously, with um, after the end, we really didn't have that because it was like being told through the story. But um, and we had all that elapsed time that you could kind of you know, intuitive that stuff had happened in that time. I mean, from the Snape, from chapter one, chapter two, chapter three to now, I feel like, like at times the transition has been, at least for me as a newcomer, as someone who's not open to this, who needs to be convinced, it's it's been choppy. At some points it's been really, really good, then it would jump and skip. And like, I, I, I just, at times I have difficulty believing that Snape can be so together. And that is what I have trouble with at times. He seems like he should be far more troubled. Now, if that is explained in future chapters, why that is, I would still say that maybe the transition could have been done better because as a new reader, I'm having trouble with it. And maybe that's just me and I'm one in 1,000. But that's the trouble I've had to this point. But once you get me here and you establish this character... As long as I can, as long as I can start to believe that his um, very sensitive moments gel well with his very snarky moments and his very sarcastic moments and his very, I guess it just sounds like it, it's kind of like you're looking for reasons to say, well, this is not canon, Snape, and there no, you, really. you're, you're not being able to accept the story because you're very firmly believing it's not the character you're seeing, and you're not being able to accept. The new character that's being introduced. I don't think that's true. I think what I'm saying is the new character is introduced seems inconsistent to me, and I keep having problems with it because at the start of the day he he's very in touch with Harry's emotions, and then by the end of the day he could be you know very very you know, recalling the time like last year that I was so violent I you know caused I was glad that your godfather died and like it, it, the, the the character is created to me seems inconsistent. Whereas take the character of Draco, he seems. He, I love the character of Draco in this. Snape, I just have a... There's there's like maybe 20, 25% of the time, his character just doesn't sell me. I think that's the problem I'm having. Like, you could even tell me that, you know, canon Snape is dead and this is the new character. The new character to me just... And sometimes I'm just scratching my head saying, okay, why is he reacting this way if this is the past? And maybe there's some backstory I haven't gotten yet, but up until this point... And maybe I'm supposed to ask questions. I don't know. But up till this point, I'm just having some problem with it but um unless anyone else has comments on this do you want to leave it here do you want to move on does anyone else have anything they want well, i just i just want to say that i think that aspen has given snape two more dimensions that we don't see in canon in canon he's a one-dimensional character and in hmm. a year like none other he has three dimensions True. he's uh much more fun to read even if it is alternative universe you just have to accept that in your mind. And I mean, I understand you don't 
you know, like the transition, the the difficulty of it. But I like the new Snape yeah. much better. <laughs> and let me just clarify this, because I know I'm going to listen to this later and be like, oh, why did I say that? 75% of the Snape in the transition, I had no problem with. There were parts of it where I felt like I was, like, going, like, downhill in the snow. Jen, you'll have no idea what I'm talking about. I'll explain it later. But I felt like I was going downhill in the snow. <laughs> I, and I, I get it. And the car was like jerking because I'm putting the brake on and I'm like You're jerking. fishtailing. Yeah, I was fishtailing. That was it. I'm, I'm smooth, 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 fishtailing, fishtailing, back on the road, smooth, smooth. So I had, there was some problems with it, but overwhelming, like I'm still reading the fic and I'm going to be in the car tomorrow for six hours and I'm still going to be listening to the fic. I just don't want to give the impression. Like, here's the thing. I really, I want to love this fic. I want to look back, you know, years from now and say, oh, I really enjoyed, you know, when we were reading and you're like, none other for the first time. I want to get into other shit. Like, like I'm in this. I'm not, you know, poking my head into the non-canon box and saying, ooh, I hate this stuff and backing out. I'm liking it, but there are some. And you know what? I really hope that Aspen sends in, see, hint, hint, wink, wink. I hope Aspen sends in a 20-minute voicemail or even does an interview with us on the show and puts me in my place and tells me what I missed. And I go, <laughs> oh, okay. So just I have like, a theory. What's that? I have a theory. I have a theory about why it's more difficult to read a fic like this and find it believable. That unfortunate incident I had as a child. No, go ahead. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I only get one every once in a while, so brace yourselves. Go for it. Um, (laughs) No, I have a theory. I was thinking about why it's easier for people, or specifically me, to (laughs) read, like, um, a fic that has a non-ship or a non-canon ship. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's mostly a fic that is, um, like romantically driven. And I think it's because of that, because we're some, at least maybe not everybody, but myself are more inclined to suspend our, you know, disbelief to read a romantic fic as opposed to one that has to deal with this sort of psychological, you know, adoption and all the things that kind of go along with that. Do you see what I'm saying? Because we really like to see characters, you know, whereas this is sort of uncomfortable. Okay. Do you see what I'm saying? So so are you saying more along the lines of we like to see the romantic stuff, we think that's fun, we'd like to see the pairings, whereas, you know, like, this is almost like, you know, this is real life work, like, we don't want to hear about it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Like, it's not, this isn't playtime, this is like real, you know, day-to-day, Harry has to live with Snape, and then they're trying to get along and work it out. And they're arguing over who has to fill the dishwasher. Right, like, (laughs) we have to deal with that, like, normally in our real life, you know, it's the same reason, you know, why people read smut, or housewives read smut, you know. Jen, mm-hmm. Jen, what do you what do you think? <laughs> I think it's a good point. I think I meant about the smut, but please. Oh, <laughs> I'm don't feel bad, Jen. You are not alone. <laughs> Meg oh, has, thank you, thank you. <laughs> Meg has come out of the smut closet, everybody. <laughs> Yay! I'm not alone. I really nobody else would admit to it. I'm and like, we can yeah, talk right. about it openly on the show now because we're uh, explicit. Because right, it's explicit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> hey, Nick. Now, oh, if I was supposed to be on mute all the time, I would have remembered that I was off, of, that I was on mute, and I would have been right there with you, Jim. Going <laughs> oh, back. Thanks, to Lady, Lady thanks. Chief, podcasting from ten seconds ago since nineteen ninety-five. <laughs> Shut up! Nobody likes you. Kim, uh, <laughs> did, did you have a comment, Kim? Nope, I'm good. <laughs> okay. Kim, Kim, Kim do you Kim do you read smut in your spare time? We have to ask because we're now in the. I knew the question was coming. I just could feel it. I did just say that we all came out. I was trying to come out quietly, but come out firmly. <laughs> well, that's you not have to come out work. loudly. Yeah. <laughs> 
You have to shout it from the rooftops. I read smut. <laughs> I just have a question. When we mean smut, do we mean like R-rated fix, or do we mean like oh, anything no. on like yeah. on, like? Sounds like no, on. no. What was the, what was the site? No, no. What was no, the, no, no. What was the site they sent me to on the forum? Like adultfanfiction.net. Adultfanfiction.net. Yeah. That place is scary. There are some scary that, corners of the internet as far as. Harry Potter smut goes. Oh my god! Yeah, I, I, that's one of the scarier corners. I went in there and I felt like, like I, like I came home and took a shower. Like that was. <laughs> yeah. like, I feel the same way. I feel like, wow. I don't. Maybe I should like not be reading this alone. I feel bad. Like I don't know. Oh, I don't. And I think I, it's okay. And I just want to clarify. For the, I just want to clarify for the moment that when we're discussing a year like none other. We're, we're in the beginning holding it up on a pedestal as a very well written fic that can sustain, you know, this type of intelligent conversation or Empire Fic Weekly as close as we can get to intelligent conversation. You know, can, like we're what? not, we're, no. we're, we're not in any way, you know, comparing, saying, oh, we don't like this part or this is like, we're like, trust me, like w- compared to what's out there. Oh <laughs> like, my goodness. Oh good yes. God, this is a well written story. So just want to clarify that as well. How well, I think this smut? is a well-written story, like, even as far as books go. Like, yeah. I don't think it's it's only comparable with with stories yeah, that fix. suck. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> it's a good thing now. Some of us, some of us can write fan fiction. I don't mean, oh, gee, that's not even what I was trying to go for. No, I know. I'm making fun of Ryan. I'm Why are we making fun of Ryan now? What did Ryan oh, ever do to you? You deserve it today. I deserve right. it today? <laughs> You've been teasing everybody. Oh, that's, a fair, that's a very fair point. Well, let's talk about the story a little bit. Let's actually start in 39. Let's go through the story a little. Yeah, let's. I'm really, because I love let's these chapters. Let's get off of, uh, character discussion and move on to plot, shall yeah, we? Yeah, we haven't done plot in several weeks. <laughs> talk about Snape anymore in my life. All right, oh we're starting goodness. in chapter 9, everybody. We're a little bit behind here. <laughs> All right. Oh no, it's fine. Okay, so starting. Okay, this is. I don't have it in front of me. This is the paradigm of transition paradigm of shift. shift something something. Okay, gear shift. Not the paradigm of uncertainty. I That's just a different. Hold it up. Yeah. <laughs> that that was Harry wants to touch Hermione. Okay, moving on. All right. Oh, I, don't diss that fake. It's a good one. I'm not just And I I just want to cl- before we get into chapter thirty nine. I am reading Snape Hermione fix now. I adore so. them. I've got some really great recommendations. I read, I read, I'm reading one that you recommended in the restrictions section. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Aspen, if you if, if if you like if you like become a hermit after this, you know you've changed what the life of one woman from Wisconsin with some children. So there you go. Yeah, everything about me has changed. I'm reading Snape Hermione fix. I'm wondering oh why God. people drink milk when they do. It's just craziness. Her, her her young child poops. Are we talking about, like, wait, hold on, are we talking about hug, Potter's Pick Weekly, or are we talking about fan fiction? We're talking about Cosby Aspen. Specifically, uh, Aspen. you're like none other. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. All right. I see now. I see. I, I, I like, I'm, I know what's going on. I'm good. I feel like Fraser Payne. That's how I feel. You guys have watched Frasier before, obviously. I do. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, well, you know yeah. how they're like always just overanalyzing everything? I feel like I do that now all the time because of this. And on this podcast, I have to tell you, I feel like Eddie the dog. <laughs> okay, that one didn't get any laughs. Is everyone on vacation? Where the hell is everybody? I don't, I don't no, I'm looking. I know, sorry. I was pulling up the chapter so we could talk about the chapter. You're like, good, Ryan's talking. I can get some work done. Nice. All right. No. <laughs> 
Hey now, that's always my thought. No, she has nothing else to say. No other defense. No. Um. Yeah. <laughs> I just start laughing. <laughs> hey, while Ryan's talking, I do my taxes. I'm not. My bathroom. I actually did a little no. of that. How do I always get slammed as the mean one, and you guys are like vacuuming while I'm talking in the park? It's not that you're mean; it's just that you carry the show, and the rest of us ride along. That's that's fair too. I love the episodes like where it. I'm talking for like 35 minutes, and you know, all of a sudden I get to the best point of the thing, and Jen cuts herself on a credit card. Like, you know. <laughs> we love it because we can just you can, you set the tone, and we get to ride. Yeah, that happened last week. Jen cut herself on a credit card. <laughs> like literally in the middle of the. Jen, you cut yourself cutting, on your I, credit card. I wasn't trying to commit suicide or anything. Like I was just like bending. Like we're doing this thing. Like we've been paying off our credit cards and then like cutting them up because we have a problem. We're trying to get them down to like zero credit cards. And so I was so happy because I was because we pay that one off. So I was like bending it up with my thumbs and like I got a sharp edge stuck in my thumb and I blew it and I was like oh ow so, oh, but that's nice. what it was it was just totally accidental because I was so enthusiastic well, congratulations thank you it's a it's a big effort okay 39 paradigm shift it starts off with Harry thudding to the floor after hearing the big news of the big line last week that we ended with that was so cool he just fell right to the floor like, seriously, can you picture that? Like, picture so a no sitcom. Hair. Like, I want to adopt you, and the character just, like, falls backwards onto the ground. <laughs> but it's such a good like reaction. The, the generic, like, oh. That would be great if Harry, like, clutched his chest. He's like, I'm having right arm pain. Like, okay, I'm just kidding. It's the big one. It's the big one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I was wondering if I was Did the only one old enough to remember that. Can I just yeah. tell you, I was in the car today, and someone was talking about that, and that's the only reason I have any idea what the hell you people are talking about That right always happens to me. Like, I have no idea what someone's talking about, only because I heard about it, like, the day before. Meg, I feel like I should hug you right now, but you're in Wisconsin, so no. <laughs> Sorry, but isn't that weird? That is very weird. It's like deja vu. It's like it happens to me all the time. All right, but we should get back to the podcast. (laughs) Sorry, Sanford and Son. I was making our discussion (laughs) Harry Potter fan fiction, shall we? Okay, there we go. Jen, we apologize. Please continue. I'm sorry. Okay, so so Severus goes and flews off to talk to Dumbledore, and uh, while he's gone, I just have to say I love Draco here. Because I love that they that Aspen shows that Draco shows jealousy towards Snape wanting to adopt Harry. Yeah. Like I think that's really important, and I think it's really one. It shows they're starting to have sibling rivalry already. Yeah, and it's a nice way to introduce it. And I like that he's so, he's more enraged, I think, at the fact that Harry is seeming ungrateful about Snape offering to adopt Harry rather than the, the actual. Snape adopting Harry and not Draco. Let me ask you guys this. Draco really would have liked it for himself. Yeah, I think so. I'm just curious if this, you know what it is? It's like when you, like when we were watching, we did a commentary on um, the first Harry Potter movie last week. And while we're watching the 11 year old actors, I'm picturing the 18 year old characters in Deathly Hallows. As I'm reading this story, I'm actually picturing Harry being 12 years old. Because that's how he seems. Like he seems like. He does seem young. Yeah. Well, now you see what we're. Yeah, because here's my, here's my question for you guys. Okay, Snape is going to adopt Harry. Now, Harry is over 16 years old. He's like 16 and a half, I think, by the time this has been, or maybe a little bit younger, maybe like 16 and three, four months. So he's, you know, eight months away in the Wizarding World from being a full-fledged adult. Now, it's similar to, you know, like if, if, if you were going to adopt someone who was going to be 18 soon, 
like I think if if Harry were twelve and there were some type of expectation that Snape would be raising Harry for years and guiding who he become as he you know grows into a young man, that'd be one thing. Did you guys have to remind yourself that we're dealing with essentially a sixteen-year-old Draco who's because of the quirk in the plot, he's considered a wizarding adult. He is a full-fledged member of wizarding society now. No, Draco is not. He, no, he was. He was emancipated. Yeah, he's emancipated. He was emancipated. So they essentially said, even though you're under the age of 17, we're going to consider you an adult now to get him away from Lucia. So Lucius wouldn't yeah. have any ties to him. So he, Draco is a... So oh, I mean, I mean, he's not an adult in like in, in as a wizard. Right, but he's, yes. you know, for better or for worse, legally he's a wizard. Um, and Harry will be in about eight months. So um, that, was, that was one thing, because my thought... And I know I wasn't supposed to think this, but my, or it wasn't intended by Aspen. I, 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 do, I think bad things. Um, <laughs> I, I guess my thing was, you know, even if he goes through with it, for those who are, you know, detractors to the idea who don't think it should happen, in eight months, he's going to be an adult anyway. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So when he mm-hmm. signs, you know, the, the paperwork that says that, you know, you will always be able to live wherever Snape lives, you know, well, technically you're going to be a man in eight months. You can go buy a condo. And, like, like, I know that's not from a... Emotionally, Harry's 12, so it's okay, but does that factor into anyone's reading at all, or...? Mm-hmm. I don't think yeah. Drake of that much like that, but you're right. It does for me, but not for a little while yet. Because picture he... I do see Harry as young. Yeah, but because... I, yeah. I don't think about Draco that way. Because he's, he's really... Like, think of Dan Radcliffe in the last movie. That's a, Harry's older than that now. He's Harry going into... Well, no, no, no. I think I think you do have a point, and I think she does write Harry a little bit younger. But I think also we're seeing a younger Harry because everything that's happening to Harry is something new, and it's bringing all of his, his non-childhood up to the front. And he's having to deal with realizing all the things he didn't have while he's getting used to and accepting the new things. But do you think that diminishes the Erickson adoption would say itself? That, uh, no. No, I don't think so. Okay. I think that Erickson would say that Harry is having a developmental crisis here. Yeah. And, like, I'm not really sure how much, how many of you guys had to take stupid classes like I've had to take on human development and uh, psychology. But when you have these, like, developmental crises, like independence versus dependence, like those type of things, sometimes when we're facing those at, at adult, as adults, Harry didn't have a choice. He had to be independent, right. you know? And, and so I think, you know, now that he has somebody to lean on, he's, he's struggling to figure out how do you, how do you lean on somebody? How do you have a real emotional relationship with somebody who genuinely wants to care for you? And I think it's an interesting perspective to have on um, the Harry Potter character because there's something to be said for Joe's Harry being too rosy. Oh, her character is very one-dimensional on that level. Yeah. Be able to, being able to cope with real relationships and how do you care for somebody. But then again, you know, Freud would say that he had great parents for the first year of his life and that's all you need, but we're all not all, we're not all Freudians, so we can see past that. But I think that, you know, that's, that's the more, Harry is the more interesting character in the story to me than Snape. Yeah. Because, you know, Snape is so one-dimensional anyway. I mean, you can, you can pretty much throw anything on Snape, put new clothes on Snape if you want, and, and justify it. You know, you, you can, you can say, well, Snape was a cross-dresser for most of his life, but he had to hide it, hide it because he was a spy for Voldemort. Most readers, readers would go, oh, yeah, that kind of makes sense. But, you know. <laughs> <laughs> the scene in, in, in Order of the Phoenix makes so much more sense now. The one with. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Tim, what you, you haven't seen? <laughs> right. 
So anyway, I meant, uh, no, I'm sorry. I meant uh, yeah, I meant, Prisoner, uh, of Prisoner of Azkaban. I forgot which right. one was. Sorry. Oh right. my gosh, that was so point good. Being, point being that Aspen is hitting on aspects of Harry that we don't have to deal with in canon, and I think as you know, that's that's infinitely more interesting to me oh, than than Snape. Yeah, and I mean that whole yeah. storyline. Yeah, and, and I just want to say this too. I just want to clarify something I said, and also just completely agree with that because you know, we're, how many fanfics have we all read? We've all read a lot of these stories, and there's only so much you can read about. You know, here's another variation on how Harry defeats Voldemort, and here's another variation on how Harry hooks up with Ginny. This is a really in-depth character piece on these characters, and the characters are made very three-dimensional and very layered. So if I, you know, spend 10 minutes on the podcast complaining about, you know, maybe the the, the way Snape manifests himself, I'm still accrediting the idea because I prefer okay, a very layered Okay, for the record, Snape. it was more than 10 minutes. No, but I just want to say, I, I really give I give Aspen, you know, supreme credit for trying, you know, and I on many levels succeeding to make this a more, you know, for, a fic for adults and, you know, Kim's kid, but, you know, like a, a fic for all ages that adults can really pull a lot from. I really do respect that. And when I said, you know, do, does anyone think that the adoption idea doesn't really resonate? What I mean by that is I think if Harry were 12, it would resonate a lot more because there would be a lot of, we're talking years of Snape, you know, molding Harry, so forth. You know, after a year, he could spend the rest of his life, you know, visiting Snape every day and having a, a relationship with Snape until the day he dies now. And the fact that he's adopting Snape and he's raising Harry for a, I just said Harry adopts Snape. The fact that Snape's adopting Harry and raising him for, you know, a year and then Harry's a man, you know, the, the legal adoption doesn't really matter as much as the emotional connection between the two guys. That's all I really, as it, as it would have more if he was younger. That's all I was going for there. Kim, do you have anything to say? I feel bad you were like very quiet tonight. No, no, I'm, I'm in complete agreement. That's never happened before. Kim, you, you heard what I said? <laughs> Kim, give us a hug. Come here. Come here. Come here. I'll give you a what? I, I said, okay, moving on. Jen? I really like how Harry, like Draco keeps throwing Harry's problems in his face because he read the book. <laughs> he read the oh, psychology book. I, I love, love it. that. I was loving Draco even more. I just really like it, and I like... reminding me of Hermione. I know, it's like Hermione can't be there, so we're subbing... But instead of being, like, totally understanding, he's just, like, like a kid who spouted off information and is just like, you have all these problems, and I'm going to tell you about them. Do we know who wrote this book? Was this guy licensed to write this book? Like, we're sure everything in the book is on the up and up? Because it seems like they're like, how do you get this? It was in the book, and they're like, oh, It was in the book, It was in the book, you know, what was that movie with the guy who was raising his daughter and he kept referring to the guy who wrote the book and then he found out at the end of the movie that the guy who wrote the book didn't, and the, like the book said let your daughter do whatever she wants if she wants to spend a night with the guy let her do it it's good for her development oh and then you found out later on in the movie that the guy who wrote the book actually has never seen a child and had it was just making the whole thing up because it sounded good <laughs> I'm just curious who wrote the damn book alright <laughs> I don't know if they make reference to the who. muggle psychologist I know it made me so sad that, like, I, I, whenever I imagine Harry curling up on the couch, like, talking to Sal's, because it just reminded me of, like, what a little kid does when they have to deal with, like, parents getting divorced or something, and they talk to their teddy bear. And yeah. it was just really sad. Like, I was always just like, oh, and then I really like that, like, Draco keeps making all these little comments to Harry, you know, saying things like, I don't know, actually, no, he wasn't making comments, but he, I don't remember, maybe he was making comments, but like slamming his fork down and like, and Snape just keeps 
giving Harry his space and yet see, keep setting frowns toward Draco <laughs> in disapproval. <laughs> like, I just really like that she's written the family atmosphere so believably. Yeah, it's a great... Well, that's the thing, because I have to keep reminding myself they're 16, they're 16. Like, we always talk in previous podcasts that the characters are so adult that we have to keep reminding mm-hmm. ourselves, these are kids, these are kids. And now, all of a sudden, it's like, we have to remind ourselves, these are adults. These are adults. Well, because they, well in th- a way. Well, that's but the problem is, because sometimes they read really young, and then the next minute, they read really mature. They're very like... Yeah, with having raised teenagers, that that's exactly how yeah. they are. That's, that's oh, that, great. Yeah. And also, I want to say that these teenagers have not had what pe- what normal kids call a normal childhood. And I think in some ways they're both more mature than they should be, and in some ways they're more childlike than they, in that they should be. Yeah, that's um, human. That's human. That's human, and and it also shows a little bit of their character backgrounds. And I'm glad that she incorporated that into it. But I really liked that. I, I, I thought it was really interesting that they had Dudley and Harry and Draco all under Snape's household. And that all of them and Snape are parentless. To talk about it. Well, they're all parentless. Yeah. Like, they have Whatever these three Dudley people. About it. I just think it's so interesting that they have these three characters who are so polar opposites of each other. Yeah, think of it. You have the you have the Slytherin pure blood snob like, snob up until the last few months. You have with the, the f- excellent manners. With the excellent manners, you have the former abusive cousin who's now essentially been because of his parents' death been over, you know, a very short period of time, he's been reduced to like a hysterical 5-year-old. You have Harry emotionally stunted. Yeah, Harry whose eyes were poked out. And you know what? Maybe that's the thing. Snape just seems like the normal one, and that's never happened. Before. It's like, <laughs> they look to Snape and they're like, can you guide us emotionally? Because we feel stunted. Well, it's because they're so screwed up. I mean, what I like about the, the way that she's put them all together is everyone is so screwed up that Snape does seem like the one that's together. Well, think of like when Hermione it comes down sense. and Hermione's like, do you feel like you're in a very you know conducive environment for your emotional <laughs> needs? Of course not. I'm living with my cousin who used to beat me. Draco Malfoy tried to kill me seven times. Severus Snape and I have no magic and my eyes were plucked out. Like, I'm they not- weren't plucked out. They were just stabbed with needles. <laughs> oh, I apologize. <laughs> I apologize, Jen, for overdoing it. I apologize. I apologize. I apologize. But, but yeah, they're I mean, back. He sees now. Yeah, that's true. But you know, honestly, I'd rather have my eyeballs taken out than have things um, poked. Oh, let's just why not I even talk never, about it. Never, no, ever, seriously. Let's like off the eyeball Jeez. discussion. So <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I wear contacts. That's enough for me. Like, touching. I can't even do that. Imagine Jen's <laughs> captured by Death Eaters and is tortured. We can talk about this all day long, but we've been start talking about eyeballs and everybody gets squicked out. Okay. <laughs> You're right. I never said we would smart this podcast out there. Okay. So, so then. I want to keep going. So then they, they go into the office and Harry decides to stay outside and on the couch and wait for Snape. And he comes in. And as soon as he comes in, Harry realizes he doesn't want to talk. He just wants to sleep. And Snape says, no, it doesn't matter that it's 2 a.m. We're going to have a long <laughs> discussion. I do that. I'm so Snape in the scene. Like, people don't want to hear from me. And I'm like, I think we need to talk about our future. And they're like, it's 4 in the morning. I, I, I feel for Snape here. I really do. I, I think that I'm very similar to that. I feel well. for Harry. Harry's just always no, like, what? <laughs> like, well, can I just tell you? Like, I'm like, let's talk. <laughs> Jen calls oh, me at two in the morning. What you doing? What you doing? 
But like, and can I just say this? Too? Like, it's like, like, okay, now go back to you know Snape in the in the, in the argument as to why he was the way he was in canon and now is Mister Happy Fun Guy is because of the misinterpretation. He is not Mister Happy Fun Guy. All he's right. kind of Mister. He plays Scrabble. I love that scene. He's he's like, I've got Scrabble. No, can I just tell you this? Like Daniel, yeah, my, my fiance's father, the incoming yeah. father-in-law. He is the he's one of the he's one of the goofiest guys. He's one of the funniest guys. He always will look at Danielle and I and say, you guys staying for dinner? I'm making kebabs. And it's like, it's just like, it's like, Harry, you want to come out of your room? We're playing Scrabble. It's like you're bribing a five-year-old. It is. And he was. He was bribing him. There's going to be treat time. And and it was a successful bribe. One thing about the character of Harry is that, okay, he has apparently been pissing off Snape for the past, you know, five years, six years because of the fact that he just says these things, which to Harry are completely innocuous, but to Snape prove that this child is an evil lying bastard. And I love the point where he's trying to explain to Harry that he wants to adopt him. And Harry is just like the dopiest kid trying to get this. And he's and he's and he's like, Harry, I want to adopt you. And Harry's like, I don't understand. He's like, Harry, I want to adopt you. I want to be your father. And, and he's looking back. He's like, you're just saying that because the wards. Harry, I'm not saying this in name only. I have to change my name. Like it's just like you can imagine yeah, Snape well, just doing head desk, head desk. Well, it was head two desk. in the morning. Yeah, I just, I well, just. But I think it also shows, like, how Harry is dealing. <laughs> yeah, it's a coping mechanism. No, here we go it's with a, the psychological yeah. aspect of it. He's Get saying that he knows what he's talking about. He's just trying to, like, delay Make the inevitable. Make it go slower. Yeah, he doesn't... He All this is happening... Like, I don't know if any of y'all have, like, been dealt, like, really bad emotional news. I've had my fair share. And I know that, like, when you sit down... Yeah. And you know that someone's about to tell you something that you definitely don't want to hear. You do anything you can to avoid even 30 seconds. Just give me 30 more seconds of my sane, you know, and, and you get to the point when you keep putting it off that anything is worth hearing or talking about than hearing what you actually don't want to hear. And so I really, I could appreciate it and relate to him. Yeah, I can too. He knows what Snape wants. Yeah. Well, yeah. well, no, on yeah. some level, isn't that Harry's biggest flaw? Is that like he doesn't understand for the life of him that his friends want to die with him. They want to fight Voldemort and die for him if necessary. I mean, it's not like he secretly knows but wants to hide it. I just don't think that he even gets that because of who he is. He, I think that's like very basic kind of you know explanation of Harry's trauma. He just doesn't get the fact that people want to. You know, he doesn't get the fact that people think he's worth it. So I could see here, Harry just doesn't get the fact. I, I didn't see it as Harry was in denial. I saw it as Harry literally did not get it at all that Snape wanted to adopt him. Well, I mean, if you think about it, the only people who have ever voluntarily given two thoughts to Harry as a person are the Weasleys, you know, yeah. So and, and Hermione. So if you think about the, the impact of that psychologically, then that, that reaction to me makes sense because how, how would you even ever be able to process that? It's like when, if you've been told all your life that you're fat and ugly and I mean like the, for a shallow example, you're dating somebody that tells you, no, 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 you're beautiful and smart and intelligent. You're like, Liar. What? what? Yeah, you I don't, don't believe it. I don't, I don't, I don't process that. Like, what, you think they want something from you. Exactly. And that would be Harry's reaction. Yeah. yeah. And it's and w- one of the things the fic does well is that it basically, like, think about it. He's had 11 years with the Dursleys, and he's had, f- what, five years with Ron and Hermione. And the, the, what 
usually tends to happen in the canon is that those first 11 years are kind of like previously on Harry Potter. And it's like, kind of, <laughs> it's, the, it's the background <laughs> stuff, but it doesn't really, it doesn't really factor a really in. sexy voice, Ryan. Jen, I need you to back away from me right now. I'm, I'm, I've seen what you do to Rob from Spellcast when he goes sexy. I need you to back away from me. I was right. just trying to make you not feel left out. I'm sorry. <laughs> You're like, I really don't find you sexy at all. I just, you were the only guy left, and I felt kind of bad for that thing I said earlier. So. No. <laughs> yeah, that's an example of Jen not being able to come up with a good defense. So she just went, that's not oh. a patronizing voice at all. No. <laughs> oh, they're being awful. I'm going to go back to my voice daily. Oh, she reminds me of my, uh, my old gifted director, the, the director of our gifted program. Whenever she thought you were being particularly stupid, she would go, oh, bless your heart. Bless your <laughs> heart. You're an idiot. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's it's Jen, most meatless. And that, so and, and that was Paula Dean, right? That you just did right there? Yeah. Paula well, she Dean. reminds me very much of Paula Dean. I love Paula Dean. Oh, my goodness. Okay, love- we have to get off the Food Network. How did we just do that? We did the Food Network and my sexy Oh, I, is she the one that makes fried chicken all the time? Yes. Okay. Oh, oh, yes. I, got, I love her. Everything in butter. Schneim, what the hell is Schneim? Everyone <laughs> shut up, I just remember in my comments. She right. likes butter, yeah. And she's right. always putting in like she a She loves butter. I wish okay, I had like, gong like, real noise. Southerners. Gong noise I can... We should uh, definitely keep talking so that Ryan... We should do Potterfic Weekly cooking. I'm just going to talk over you all. Keep talking amongst yourselves, <laughs> seriously. Everyone, listen to the sound of my sexy voice and try and hold on to it because I'm going to go over everybody else. All right, so my point here is... Oh, what the hell was my point? Damn you people. <laughs> Daniel, to hell? What was my point? All right. What, one thing that Aspen does very well is that she shows that the last 11 years of Harry's life at the Dursleys were actually the, the, the predominant years. They were the, the years that made him who he was. And everything is based out of those years. So that, you know, even though he's had these, you know, moments with Ron and Hermione and the Weasleys in between almost getting killed by a basilisk, murdered by his godfather, um, destroyed by the guy with the dark wizard on the back of his head and crushed by dragons, uh, sea creatures. And Vold- yeah. And, and Vold- between all the, you know, between all those fun times, he, he's had the Dursleys and Canon is basically Harry's a good guy in spite of the Dursleys. And then and you're like, no, another, I think I said this before or else I'm getting deja vu. You know, Harry is who he is because of the Dursleys. And so you're talking about with like that yeah. his dark powers. That's what you're saying. Well, I think Aspen yeah. really tries to show in this fic that the Dursleys did a lot more damage than we get to see the the canon Harry experience. Yeah. Well, it's which an- I find totally believable. Or realistic. Yeah, it's it's annoying in the canon. Well, I mean, here's the thing: Joe Rowling created the whole thing, and we love her for it, and she told a very specific type of story. But it's unbe- books, yeah, essentially. it's it's a, it's a kids' book. It's unbelievable that if someone took like, like, man, you have kids, and Kim, you have kids, and mm-hmm. and and Jen, you have dogs, and I have. Basically, I have this water bottle here. Definitely, like, they compare. Yeah, I mean, yes, like, exactly. And she has her microphone, which she's holding together. She with has like, my, you know what? Shush! I work with children. Okay. There you go. And she works with, or used to work with kids. I had to quit. She works in the deli, so she has her meat. I mean, exactly. Uh, <laughs> you see these kids, and you can't. Like, I think, um, who was it? Who was it before saying it? I think it was either it was Melinda who said this. Melinda's uh, son had a nightmare, and she stayed up with them and, and gave him hugs and made him feel better. And she hates the Dursleys because she can't imagine what would have happened to her son if the Dursleys were raising him. And it's on some level, somewhat. It it, it, it it's like one of those after school specials that makes 
you know, date rape seem like not that bad of a thing or, or trivializes something that's truly serious or makes alcoholism something that you can solve in a half hour TV show. It's one of those things that it, it trivializes child abuse. And obviously, you know, that's not meant to, you know, be a crack at Joe. It's just, it's for everything Harry went through or conceivably went through at the Dursleys, he comes through it remarkably well. And that's not common. You know, there are going to be scars and there are going to be, you know, bad dreams and it's going to still affect you when you're 16. And I give Aspen enormous credit for leading with that rather than leading in spite of it and kind of burying it. It's it's upfront and, and central. I agree. Not overdoing it too. She didn't add to it and make him a completely yeah, abused I've read those little, <laughs> Yeah, where he's but beaten. It's really overdone. And, yeah. Yeah, it's not... You know, it's it, it's and obviously there's probably more to come, but it's it's the neglect. It's not the it's not the abuse as much as it's the neglect and the neglect. Uh, Even in in the first movie, when I was actually watching it with that commentary, um, when Vernon says to Harry, you know, if you don't behave at the zoo, you're gonna have no food for a week. You know, and I mean, it's in a, a movie and it's a cute movie, and people would take their kids to it, but not a kid, an 11 year old, not eating for a week. That's not a joke. I mean, that is a very serious thing, as in your kids will get taken away for you that's serious, you know? Yeah, I mean, think about it. We had to stop the podcast tonight because she needed some cereal. I mean, like, like you can't, like, it's, it's, it's obviously a big, it's a big cheat. Granted, she is borderline diabetic. So, (laughs) okay, all right, all right. Now I'm suddenly hated by the diabetics. I'd like to buy this. Oh, diabetics and educators, evidently. (laughs) I'm telling G, she can't eat it. She goes into diabetic shock on the podcast. I apologize. Disclaimer on the podcast. We're not that horrible. G. I would say something, but I have to be on mute. (laughs) (laughs) She, you're allowed to come back from your... I love how we're talking about how awful it is to keep a small child locked in the closet, but we're telling Chi she can't speak unless spoken to because of the back. Chi, say whatever the hell you want, go. Whatever the hell I want. All right. Good job. Excellent. Let's talk about Dumbledore. Why? I don't know. Yeah, I hate him. Let's not... Let's talk about... Hey, I have a statue of him. <laughs> no, like that guy. You have a statue of Dumbledore? Okay, it's not a statue. It's a cardboard cutout from a theater. I bought it off... I it's like Wait, wait, wait. Which Dumbledore? Broken. The first one. The only one oh, that matters. Kim, would you like to attend my wedding? <laughs> yeah. Right. And bring the cutout. <laughs> that can be hey, your day. Bring the cutout face. and the goat. <laughs> On the forums, there are now a list of people who want to buy my Gambin Finally Bites It t-shirts. I'm so excited. <laughs> yeah, I'm buying one. <laughs> what does this say? The back of mine said something like, do you think he knows yet? <laughs> Because he obviously doesn't read the books. He doesn't need to. <laughs> yeah. Oh, can I just tell you, and I don't mean right, to get off exactly. traffic, I, I read an interview. I went on Gambin's uh, Wikipedia page, and he like he looks nothing like Dumbledore. Just throwing that out there. Without the I years. actually did like him in that one movie. The thing with Gambin is that he even says, oh, you know, I really don't. Like, I just put on really you know, the beard, and I, I just play me because I'm not like one of those character actors. I really just play different variations of myself. We don't. Why are you an actor? <laughs> we don't like you. It doesn't work. All right. I'm sorry. That's all I have. Um, but one thing, just I want to say this is just to comment. It, it did come up a lot during my reading of the character here. Harry really is pushing the envelope on the alternate road not traveled. This is the Harry that never forgave Dumbledore. It's the opposite of what we saw in, in Half Blood Prince. It's the opposite of what we saw for large swaths of Deathly Hallows. But I find it. I know people don't agree with this a lot. You know, some people don't, but 
you know, strongly, but I believe this is a very logical Harry. The arguments make sense. Harry cannot forgive Dumbledore for, 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 for lying to him and using him. And Dumbledore's reaction is that even though you were at the Dursleys all those years, I knew you were alive. And Harry's response, which he never said, was there's, you know, there's, there's more to life than just being alive. But it, it's a very real situation. Now, I personally don't believe that Dumbledore, canon or otherwise, does not love Harry. I believe he cares for Harry strongly. I believe that Harry, like in the canon, and I believe this even before that, Harry's in this situation where, you know, Dumbledore didn't do this to Harry. You know, Voldemort did this to Harry, but because Harry's in this situation, Harry has to get out of it. So Dumbledore is not picking some kid off the street and saying, okay, you will fight the Dark Lord. Dumbledore is picking, you know, Harry off the street and saying, okay, because you have this journey, I'm going to prepare you for it. This is the Dumbledore from Harry's perspective, and Harry does not want, does not believe that Dumbledore cares for him, so Harry does not see it. If we find out in the course of this fic that Dumbledore really does hate Harry, I will throw myself down a flight of stairs. Carry on. Okay, I have to agree with that. I don't, I, I don't understand the post, post, um, Half-Blood Prince obsession with, uh, villainizing Dumbledore. I just, I just don't get it. Well, it was post Order of the Phoenix, though, wasn't it? It was post Order. Post Order of the Phoenix. Sorry. Here's the problem, okay? We are seeing these books through the series, through the eyes of a young man who is growing up. And let's think about this. When we're 11, Mom and dad can fix everything. Who is Albus Dumbledore? Albus Dumbledore is a father figure to Harry. Therefore, in the first couple of books, everything is golden and rosy when in actuality it probably wasn't. And then as Harry finds out that not everybody can fix everything, then Dumbledore becomes this quote-unquote manipulative bastard. But, you know, we all think our parents are that way when we're that age. And I think the fact that Harry moves on from that in canon is more realistic because you have to accept the fact that your parents are not, you know, they're not evil and they're not trying to manipulate you. What they're trying to do is get you from point A to point B in life, whether it's um, if you're Harry Potter getting out of school alive or if you're the rest of us, you know, going to college or getting a job or being able to move out of our house before we're 35. I'm just throwing that out there. Um, I think that that is, you know, I mean, the point, the reason that Dumbledore is portrayed the way that he's portrayed in Order of the Phoenix, in the beginning part of Half-Blood Prince, is because Harry is learning to deal with the fact that Dumbledore can't fix everything. And he's angry about that. It's it's, not because Dumbledore is, I mean, obviously he does have some manipulative tendencies, but most brilliant people do. And I know because I live with one. So, I mean, you just kind of have to accept that. And who isn't manipulative, honestly? Who doesn't try to make things better for them? Right, exactly. Yeah, and there's, so, yeah, it's I, the old Mark Twain expression that when I was 12, my, I'm completely butchering this. It probably wasn't even Mark Twain. Here's an expression for you, everybody. You know, when you're 12, your father. Yeah, yeah, it's like when you're 12, your father's brilliant. When you're 16, your father's, you know, an absolute idiot and knows nothing. When you're 21, it's amazing how much the old man picked up over the last few years. You know, yeah, exactly. 16 year olds hate you know, the father figure, like when you're 16, your parents won't let you borrow the car. Your parents won't let you stay out late. Your parents won't let you talk on your cell phone. They're grounding. Your parents you. won't let you go off and fight evil dark lords. Yes. I mean, your parents, your parents absolutely suck when you're 16 years old and you resent them for it. And 10 years later, you just give them a hug. Cause you're like, I am so sorry for the time I stole your car. And they're like, what? And you're like, nothing. Like it's one of those <laughs> things. So it's, yeah, I mean, that makes sense to me so that let me even just, I'm going to defend this here. 
you know, I hate, I, I, well, I hate it. I didn't like Harry in Half-Blood Prince because I don't believe that after everything that Dumbledore put Harry through, Harry would not only get over Sirius's death in a broom shed, you know, but he would then, you know, instantly forgive Dumbledore for everything and become, you know, the, the head of the Dumbledore fan club. That didn't feel real to me. And Dumbledore d- has done enough, like it or don't like it, you know, Harry should be upset with him. And I was talking to, I think it was Melinda today. And her take on the characters, hi Melinda, her take on the characters is very canon-centric. So when she sees Harry, Ron, and Hermione, she sees characters who should be devoted to each other until death, and they should be loyal to each other till death because they are extraordinary people, and that's why we read stories about them, which I agree with. But they're human beings, and they have the right to be kids too. So I can take it either way. Either they're exceptional kids who don't behave like normal kids because of who they are and because they're one in a million, but if Harry Potter is an ordinary kid, he should be very, very pissed at Dumbledore for what Dumbledore has done to him. So I can buy into that, and it's it's just an interesting take. And I think that Harry Well, he is- spent the whole of Book 5 being pissed off. Yeah. I don't understand. I mean, I, I see your point, Ryan, but he spent all of that year being angry. And after a certain point, you just don't have a capacity to be angry anymore. Like, I'm not really sure... I don't know if you've ever been horribly betrayed by someone before. I'm sure everybody has. It's part of the process of growing up. You... I mean, you just you can only be angry for so long before something up inside you just curls up and dies. But it's the new so, stuff too. It's the new stuff. When Harry is in Dumbledore's office, and Dumbledore says, "Harry, why do you want Snape to adopt you?" He's like, "Okay, the old man's manipulating me again," and he gets angry at Dumbledore for doing that. Now, Dumbledore may be doing it, and Dumbledore may not be doing it. That's not the issue. Harry perceives at that moment that Dumbledore is doing it, so now he's going to be pissed about that. And the next time he sees Dumbledore, you know, who when he stops into Snape's. Um, you know, living quarters and doesn't say hello, he's going to be pissed about that. And it's not like, oh, I'm mad about that thing you did three years ago when we were fighting over the parking space at Pizza Hut. You know, it, it, it's, it's a whole new, it's every day, it's a new thing. And for, and, and there's many, like, how many people out there haven't talked to their brother in five years because of that stupid thing that happened? And as a result of the stupid thing, it became the next stupid thing. I mean, that, that's human. So I, I argue that. I, I agree. I mean, things, once you get angry with somebody, things can get blown out of portion. I think that's probably what's going on here with Dumbledore. I would have to say that of every part of writing that you can talk about, if you're going to talk about, um, six straight writing as far as flow, grammar, um, characterization, plot, that type of thing. I think the only thing that I, I just, I can't always agree with Asin on is characterization. And that's more of a taste issue. Yeah. And it's not because she doesn't develop them well, I don't think, for the most part. Um, it's because I prefer to see characters a certain way. Yeah. Some people don't like just with so I, can under- I mean, I'm not... Right. I'm not, li- I'm not knocking her characterization. I don't want to think that I am. I'm just saying, you know... This is not something I would normally read, and I'm enjoying myself very much, and it's very well written. But there are points when I think that she could have gone back to the canon and done something slightly different that would have made it just a little bit better. I would like to see a resolution between Harry and Dumbledore sometime between now and when Dumbledore bites it, as I'm sure he will. I haven't read on, but I'm I'm sure he bites it, because in every story, Dumbledore dies. I don't think that Dumbledore has to die in every story. And so don't expect that to happen. Okay, let's let's move on. Let's get on to that part portion of the story. Um, when Harry, of course, agrees to be adopted by Snape, which I think have we gotten to that point in our discussion? Because we keep wandering off. Well, let's okay, anyway, back to it. If you're if you're if you've gone to sleep because you don't want to listen to me poke fun at Ryan, eventually Harry decides that 
he is going to go ahead and go through the process and fill out the paperwork. And I love the part where Harry is filling out the paperwork. And I remember this kind of reminds me a lot of doing like college application forms um, <laughs> where like I'll be going along, bopping along, like filling out my name and social security number. And no, you can't have it, Ryan. And um, <laughs> so and, Ryan, address step. What about an identity and, um, thief now? What the hell are you people? And, uh, <laughs> well, he was asking me for my telephone number earlier, so I, was I had to call you for the broadcast. <laughs> I know, and it's in your cell phone anyway. You could have just looked it up. Anyway, um, what I was going to say was that hey, he's filling out these um, applications. I reminds me of doing uh, college applications because he he gets done with all the basic information like date, uh, name, date of birth, place of birth, and he gets to the hard questions. And he goes, and he turns like, and this is, I have a really vivid memory of asking my father, like, what do I tell them? And he kind of says that too, like, what do I say when they, why do you want to be adopted by Snape? What do I say to that? Right? How do I answer that? Do I answer that as a Gryffindor or as a Slytherin? And I thought that was kind of an interesting conundrum. Well, they really play up. I, I love the fact that, you know, like, they play up the fact that you have a Gryffindor hat and you have a Slytherin hat. I really love that, that you, that the, that the houses aren't just social clubs. They personify parts of yourself. And are you going to be a Gryffindor today or be a Slytherin today? I'm not claiming. I'm going to forget to say it later. I love the point where I read that on the forum. I love, I love the point. I love the point later on in the story where Harry realizes that he's half Slytherin, half Gryffindor, and every time they take ten points from Harry, five come from Gryffindor and five come from Slytherin. And Draco's like, "You can't do this. He's 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 bringing Slytherin down at the same time. He's destroying the entire house cut point system." Like I just love. <laughs> I just thought that was a terrific. Line. I think it's I so funny that. how Draco's so worried about it. <laughs> Like before, he was like, really? "You think I care about points?" Then all of a sudden, he really cares about points. <laughs> no, but he's still trying to make, get in. It's a plot device. He's still oh, trying he's to get in good. Well, no, he's still trying to get in good with the Slytherins again. And obviously, if he loses points for Slytherin, that just gives them another reason to hate him. Well, I think she's referring to part of it's that he likes points. Yeah, no. Back in the um, in the hospital wing, he didn't care about the hundred yeah. points because well, no, because of that. That was showing that he had a human side, but he does care about points when it's just like everyday stuff. True. I don't think it makes him bipolar. I think it makes him. I, I shouldn't say bipolar. that. I just thought it was funny. <laughs> Jen's very defensive tonight. I am defensive. I love Draco. I just no, I'm it. joking. <laughs> Jen just made it like into an attack on the Germans. Did you see that? That was like, what? Like, how that? No, I'm kidding. You're taking out of proportion. I was just trying to get out what I was thinking. I'm not, Jen, I'm not. apologize to Germany right now. <laughs> sorry, Germany. No right. I don't know what I did, but I'm sorry. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh. That was a half apology. So, I can't say I don't know what I did, but I'm sorry. They won't accept Jen's that. Jen's disingenuous to the Germans. Now they're going to bop us or something. Sorry, Jeremy. They tried that. We kind of defeated them in the major world war. And then, and then George Bush gave me their okay, guys, president a massage. All right. Okay, yes, I, like, I love Chuck folks. Jen, what did to, you like? Uh, uh, uh. I have to say that I loved when um, when the, the social workers showed up with Dumbledore that it, it, Draco makes the joke about, well, at least it doesn't say pet this time. <laughs> Like, I think that's hysterical. No, I'm sorry. I'm picturing, like, like, so like, like, on, like, the sitcom. Harry just got mad. Hey, that was... 
Do you ever picture like the sitcom where they where the characters move into a house and like it's like this really weird like condo or whatever and it's got the doorbell from hell every time the doorbell goes off like sparks shoot out of the like, like in the last like, season of the Cosby Show when their doorbell didn't work yeah it's like, like, that. It's like <laughs> I'm picturing the, like I'm picturing like the odd couple with all these people living in this cramped small space and every time the doorbell goes off it makes this like weird noise and Draco's like company okay <laughs> and he like trips over the coffee table or whatever I'm just like I just I don't know why. I'm just, and there's a laugh track. Yeah, we get yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like mash with the laugh track. I have to say that my favorite Draco characterization of this these chapters is the Draco when Harry is getting attacked and he yells for Draco and Draco like suddenly turns into like the dealing master. <laughs> that was Draco picked it's off so a slow mo- I, can, a sl- I can imagine him wearing leather Hermione after that. It would have like made right. that whole transition. <laughs> Here's the thing. Draco fans everywhere. I want to point out that you were getting your smut on right now to a moment I I wasn't. where Draco I takes out a very generously Bad. proportioned, slow-moving Hufflepuff who's probably <laughs> gasping for breath. Like, it wasn't like taking out the freaking Dark Lord here. <laughs> oh my gosh, speaking of Hufflepuffs, I love that Severus openly, like... He's like, well, obviously, it's my anger talking. <laughs> yeah, he was so not. I am emotionally stunted. Please excuse me. <laughs> I just really liked it. Like, but you know what the thing is? And I, I always laugh in, in Fix where, like, Dumbledore is both the headmaster, the head of the rebellion, and, like, the chief justice of the Wisengamma. And Snape is, like, the only potions master in the world, and he's the spot. <laughs> it's like it's like from after the, the end when every everyone who ran this <laughs> yeah. world lived in the same house. Like, it's such, like, a small society. <laughs> they I all love the fact that, that, you know. Universe. All right, now picture this. Picture a DSS worker comes to your house. And the DSS, What's a DSS? Department of Social Services. If someone oh, neglects right. a child, they come out to make sure the kid's okay. Oh, so a DSS okay. worker. Oh, we come... call them CPS. Okay. Well, we call them DSS. We Child also... Protective oh. Services. We also have an RMV and not a DMV. Just throwing that out there, too. But that's about cars, right? Yes, that's about cars. Right. Okay. So DSS, CPS for the Southerners. RMV, DMV. All right. Enough acronyms. Okay. So the two DSS workers come out, and one of them sits down with the kid. And while he's there, he's mining the kid for information, shoots the kid in the leg, and is, like, tackled by the next-door neighbor. The one DSS worker we have left is the only one who can process your claim. Like, like that is the part that seems hilarious to me, is that they couldn't find one other person to come out to, you know, take care of the situation, because, like... Well, who know, would want to deal with Severus Snape, honestly? No, but they, they have, like, a chaperone in the room, and this person turns out to be a Death Eater. I just think it's funny that, like, there's no No, he just turned out to be under the Imperious curse. Yeah, I'm talking about the, the remaining woman who likes to wear purple. I forget her name. That clashes with her hair. Sometimes. Oh, oh, okay. Like she's Amelia the only one Thistlethorn left. Or, uh, <laughs> Amelia Thistlethorn, yeah. Like, Amelia's the only one left who can do this, so we have to hang on to Amelia. We can't let Amelia go. The Hufflepuff. So. Yes. <laughs> And I love how they're like, okay, she's a Hufflepuff. I love I love the strategy session they have where it's like Harry and Snape. And he's like, do you think I should cry? If she says you can't stay in the room, I could try and cry. He's like, you could try and cry. That could work. I just love... I just, I just, <laughs> so hard. Oh, just want to say something about her writing style here because this is where it's really evident. I mean, what I really like about her writing style is you almost never read Harry said 
Snape said, said Draco. Do you know what I mean? Like, she comes up with the most creative ways to do the dialogue. Oh, yeah. Which is hard. The writing is stupendous. Well, it's very hard because if you, like, we had this, like, even I know this and I can't write, you know, like a check. Like, (laughs) if you say, he said, he said, he said, you know, it doesn't catch your eye. Whereas if you try and use, you know, very creative action verbs, you're going to hear, like, Harry exfoliated. What? Like, it's this, you're going to stop reading because, like, you th- thought Harry just farted. Like, you don't know what to say. So, um, what? If you actually know what exfoliated means, you get this image of Harry, like, with the scrubber. Lufa. Yeah, I'm like, he's doing his nails or something. <laughs> <laughs> he's doing his feet. Exfoliated? I think that's Jenny, word. Really Jenny Harry exfoliated. Do you think I should go with purple or red on my toenails tonight? Okay. Hmm. Don't ask the Hufflepuff. Exactly. Or is exfoliate? I guess it's everywhere, but people do masks and things, I think, to exfoliate. I love the interaction with Draco and Dudley because you can tell that he looks at, like he's trying to be nice to Dudley, but Dudley is like now, he, he's kind of like the creature of this story. He's like the, the evil kid from before who's now like, you will not insult Harry Potter in front of me because Hagrid apparently can't fit <laughs> in the same He's going to come running out with a frying pan in but, a but, Yeah, but he's like Hagrid, but then like he also has, you know, the emotional capacity of, you know, Meg's oldest son. Like, and like, <laughs> like if you say something to him, he cries and you need to go over and give him a hug. Like, it's just kind of like... <laughs> How old is Meg's oldest son? Two. He's tough. Oh, okay. That's okay. He's actually a little uh, advanced. Doesn't your kid walking around dressed like Elton John? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That wasn't me. My mother did that. She put those glasses on him and then emailed me this picture of him with these Elton John glasses on. I was like, thanks, Mom. (laughs) I like the way they discussed the the, uh, applications or the paperwork, whatever they're called, for the... The DS, DHS, but I hear it's DMI. DPS. Too many acronyms. I hear it's children and youth. I don't know what it is there. But anyway, <laughs> the way they, the way you went with a Gryffindor answer? No, it's both. Cunning isn't only lies, I guess. Very <laughs> I love the way that they split everything into Slytherin or Gryffindor. Yeah. yeah. Finding his way right in the middle of both. And I love Harry trying to read over Snape. He's trying to read upside down to read what Snape's answers are. <laughs> and Snape t- offers to turn it around. Well, if you're going to see it, look at it. And then, like, even like, Yeah, and, like, even later on when they're trying to, when they're doing the uh, in-person interviews after, you know, Harry was attacked by interviewer number one and they got the backup person. You know, they're, they're all standing there and like, what should we do? We probably shouldn't mention the fact that we used to hate each other for, you know, a very long time. Yes, let's not mention that. And let's hope they don't interview anybody else. And I mean anybody else because they all know we hate each other. Do you try and, yeah, remember the time I shot you when I was 13? Don't bring that up. Like, oh, bouncing your head against the ceiling didn't mean it. Yeah, felt really, really bad about that. Sorry about that, guys. <laughs> Did everyone else what? take a coffee break? Where is everybody? <laughs> I was thinking that head bouncing on the ceiling thing. What's that about? Uh, that, that was when they were coming out of the shrieking shack after yeah. they. Uh, oh, that's right. <laughs> okay, sorry. I read the books. I promise. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I I really like the um the interaction that sh- that she writes between the characters. I know we, we talk about this some, but one of my favorite little lines here is at the end of chapter um. What chapter is this? 41, at the end of chapter 41. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of where Harry has, like, Snape has healed his foot and Harry is going to sleep and, and they're kind of just talking and, and Harry's realizing 
you know, Snape may, maybe was more of the dad type than Harry had realized, maybe. And I just love that Harry's just telling him, you forgot idiot child. You're supposed to call me idiot child. And Draco <laughs> is laughing, and he's like, I'll call you an idiot. Like in the, idiot he's like in the <laughs> other room. He's like, I'll call you an idiot. <laughs> idiot, per, idiocy, per, personified. And then he's like, idiot children. Like, you see finally that he... It's just such a parent yeah. and kid it was moment. A great moment. I love that moment. I do. I really liked that. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, here, here. Ditto. Yeah, I, I, I love Harry to bed. Here, here. <laughs> he got and him. I like that he took off the whole day of classes to do the interview. And, like, like he really wants this to work. I like it. Yeah, like yeah. I, lo- I love stuff like that. I love like the fact that he's like, you know, if only the Gryffindors knew it was because of you, you'd be like the hero of Gryffindor House again. Like just like little moments like that. Um, yeah. And then Harry gets uh, really upset about that thought, and Snape finally understands he would be upset about that thought. Yeah, I love moments like that. Um, what, do you, what do you all think of Harry's nightmare? Yeah, that's what I was about to ask. That's so funny. Jen, I feel very close to you right now. I know we like <laughs> share a mind sometimes. Ooh, okay, carry on. <laughs> oh no, you 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 introduced it. Well, I just wanted to ask what everyone thought about you know Harry's dream. Jen, what do you think? Well, I have to say, when I read it the first, I don't know, six times, I really liked the part that followed it more. Like, I love the whole Draco waking him up and Draco sending him to go talk to to Snape. You know, I love that, and him realizing that. I, I think one of my favorite parts is where Draco, like, makes him go, and so Harry starts going, and Draco says, he goes, he stands at the door, and he says, I'll wait until he opens the door to you. Um, I'm just being a friend. I was just like, I know my sister has done that once or twice before. (laughs) Aw. I know, it's just so sweet. I love it. Aw, moment. It is great. The dreams are important. It kind of reminds me of when um, my sister and I are twins, and we would sleep in the same room, and um, my sister's bed was right next to mine um, because she used to get scared of the dark. And she would um, jump from her bed to my bed so that she wouldn't have to touch the floor (laughs) and wake me up in the middle of the night. And um, there was never any question about it. I would just be like, all right, and, like, we would just sleep in this. Yeah, we would just sleep in the same bed together. And I think that's kind of. I think that's a sister that kind of thing. Was a very know. sweet moment for me because it brought, yeah, it brought back like that type of me- mo- moments, those memories of my, you know, my younger brother growing up and my sister and I growing up together. And I think that's a very, if you have siblings, I think that's a experience. It's that very you share, realistic. Shannon and I shared a bed yeah. until we were like ten. Yeah, well, obviously, but... don't know my brothers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we weren't blessed with a brother. Thank goodness. I had brother. I had a brother. But he was younger than me, and um, we terrorized him into submission. So. I'm, an, I'm an only child. Hi, everybody. Talk about it like oh. that. Oh, spoiled. You admitted it. Now you're I know. Really I'm in. jealous. I did. You're jealous. Can I tell you, I'm like, I'm, like, <laughs> I'm like Jerry Seinfeld when I sleep, and I make, like, angels in the snow. Like, I take up every square inch of the bed space myself. Oh, it's so nice. <laughs> yeah, I never experienced that. No. <laughs> I went from sister to college, which I hated that bed, to married. So I've rarely <laughs> You're like, no, I hate my husband. So I did <laughs> too. I rarely have shared a bed to my of my own alone. Shared a bed of my own. Shared a bed alone. <laughs> if I ever have shared my own bedroom, alone either. 
If I ever have my own bedroom, I will not know what to do with myself. Seriously. I don't know how I would to cope with okay. that. Jen, what do you think about the dreams in this section of chapters? Especially the uh, the potion that Snape gives to Harry, which I love the name of it. I believe it is the dreamless sludge or something sludge. <laughs> sludge is heavily involved in, in, in this book. I, I thought it was really sad. I mean, I really felt that it was tragically sad that Harry realizes that it doesn't just show bad things. It doesn't just show the truth of, of negative memories. But Snape could never have a good memory right. that he would need. So in other words, so, yeah, so in other you're like, uh, yeah, so. I don't know how to say it. I yeah, can't get it out. I think what you're trying to say is that he realizes because he, Snape tells him that it masks the pain of bad memories. And Harry takes, you know, the sludge and he, he experiences Lily's love for him and, and James's love for him. And he realizes that's his epiphany moment in the story where he realizes that he has been loved. And it's one of the, it's one of the most uplifting points of the story so far. I mean, he tells Snape that Snape is surprised that the sludge will bring out those, those types of feelings in you. And that's when Harry realizes that Snape doesn't have that. Harry's, you know, besides his friends, besides the Weasleys, and besides, you know, his experiences at Hogwarts, the, the good ones, Harry doesn't have that. But Harry has more than Snape. And that's the first point that you, and I was, I really sat up during that because I'm like, oh, okay, here's the Snape backstory. And we started to get bits and pieces of Snape's past and, He's so private, but they leak out here and there. Yeah, and the thing you were saying yeah. before, I love Snape when he's filling out the application, too, and he's like, he's like I learned presently that my father was a disciplinarian. He was an authoritarian. Authority. Well, no, he's just saying, for, I can see now from an adult perspective. I just love the way he wrote it, though. Like, I work with this guy who can write a three and a half, he's a lawyer, he can write a three-page legal memo that basically go, says, I want you to go and shove your head up your ass, but he writes it in such a beautiful way that the person has to thank you after they read it. Like And, like, <laughs> Snape, like, reminds me of one of those people. He could write you a letter that is so eloquently written that basically says you were the biggest ass I have ever met in my life. Oh my gosh. I think it's hilarious that you say that. (laughs) Are y'all laughing too? Because I'm laughing at the fact that it's hilarious. Yeah. The future Snape letter that is just beautiful. And it's just, was I just deep? Yeah. It's hysterically insulting. Bordering like on you're, t- you're talking about my favorite, one of my favorite scenes coming That's up. Twice yeah. I'm profound. That's, That's better than deep. <laughs> you get the gold star this week. And I have a sexy voice. I have to tell you, I'm not going to say it. <laughs> it's gross. It's just gross. I love the fact that Harry's nightmare is that he won't be accepted back into Gryffindor House. And that's, I yeah. think, a very natural thing because Gryffindor House is essentially Harry's home and it has been. It's the only real home Harry's ever had, that tower. And he's been outcast from that tower for months. And I think that's just, des- like, I would be desperate for, like, to, I would be sending letters every day to the Gryffindors. I would be reaching out to them so much, just like, hey, guys, don't forget me. Like, and I would be. You yeah, still well, love me. Yeah. And w- one thing that I found was a little uh, underplayed was when Draco says to Harry later on, oh, you know, you're not a Gryffindor anymore. And, Drake, and Harry's like, oh, yeah. Like it's it's like a very he he accepts that really fast and I'm like that that even though he's not really out of Gryffindor that like and that seemed like a plot oh there's some rule from the 1400s that says that you can't be in Gryffindor anymore like that seemed like well really- no I just think that at this point he's seen that like Slytherins aren't necessarily 
cunning. I mean, liars and, and you know, like yeah, he I makes think, the comment. Well, the he, loss of home. Like, could he never go back yeah. to Gryffindor Tower? Could it he was never, Yeah, like that. Like, Harry losing, like, even though he has doubts about his Gryffindor, like, his inner Gryffindor, like, that, like, losing Gryffindor is huge. Like, that's Harry's home. And well, like, it would be the same as losing Hermione and Ron. Yes, yes, yes. And let's get into that. Let's get into yeah. And let's yeah, and let's get into Harry and, and Hermione and Ron. So you have you know they try and come to visit Harry, and he's in an important meeting right now, and they set off the security alarm, and the dogs are barking, and they eventually come back. So we get Hermione <laughs> and Ron, and I have to tell you, I'm Meg. I'm just get backing away from you right now. I mean, Canon Ron on many levels makes me want to hurt myself. But I think that, you know, fanfic Ron, there's been different variations of him I've liked very much. But what we have here is absolute, fully realistic, pig-headed Ron. And I think his reaction to Harry's adoption is very well played. Well, I like Hermione, too. Hermione, I thought, was brilliant because Hermione, that, that is how Hermione would react. She would be, she would try and be the bridge between the two of them and she would try to understand and she would try, to, she, she would try in that instance not to be overbearing and fail at it. I thought that, what's everyone think of that? I, no, I thought it was absolutely brilliant. I really thought it was dead on. Pouting. <laughs> you're, you're pouting? Oh, because of Ron? <laughs> Yes, because of Ron. Why? Because of Ron. Because I just have to defend Ron so often it gets old. <laughs> yeah. I'm getting a reputation. Well, in this story, I, I thought, just view from everyone. <laughs> I mean, I have to say I like Ron in this story. I do. I, and, but at this moment, Ron is so classic canon Ron. Except for I and really don't think he's canon. canon. I, don't he right alongside I don't think he would have gone that far. Not the canon. Yeah. No, I think it's like... Oh, I think he would have, and I think Harry would have been right next to him doing the same thing. Yeah, I yeah, do think I that, think because so. this is an extraordinary circumstance that we couldn't expect. Like, like this is like, you know, you have the jokes in, in, in canon where Ron couldn't have been any more surprised if Harry said that he wanted to become, you know, Severus Snape's child and, and move into the, into the dungeons. Like, that's actually what's happening here. I mean, you cannot, being Ron, you cannot imagine that Harry gathered them all together to say, I'm, uh, Snape adopted me, and I'm going to be a Slytherin now. And, like, like Ron's first reaction, you know, is he's a child molester. And have you ever slept in his bed? And, and Hermione is Yeah, I was that- actually shocked that Ron went there, because that yeah, is just a horrifying That's what I meant, though. Accusation. I think that's crossing the line. I don't think Ron would have done that in canon. Post- Not in post- that direction. Right. Well, let's right. be Those clear here. Sixteen-year-old boys, though, don't make that leap. You know, I think Canon uh, Ron would have been more concerned about Harry being under the Imperius curse. Yeah, like, yeah. Under a, something, something like more that. realistic. Right, because oh, because they don't. Sixteen-year-old boys—they only have one thing on their mind every minute of every day. Yeah, well, but girls, true. not yeah. you know, yeah, but, your teachers molesting you. Well, maybe, but I, if yeah, I would have he seen remembers that Snape was the only one who could touch him. I mean, oh, yeah. I just see his mind yeah. leaping there because here yes. he is moving down there with Snape. Snape is the only one who can touch him. He wants to be with Snape. He's these uh, 
betraying Gryffindor in it does in, make sense uh, to Ross's me. Mind. It does make sense I to me. I can see him going. And there. also remember too that you know this it, this would never be addressed in the canon. So when we say canon, Ron would never do this. We're talking about canon children's book, Ron, and we're yeah. talking about sixteen-year-old realistic boy, Ron. And yeah. Snape is the only one that can touch him. He needs Snape to hold him. He's moving in with Snape. This does not... And and here's the thing. When they go back, you know, when when Ron and Hermione have been going back to Gryffindor Tower all of these times, you know, I'm sure that if there's not one-shots out there, someone could write them. They must be having conversations about this over and over because their routine is disrupted. Harry's not there. It's the talk of the school. There's going to be wild, rampant rumors about this. You know, why, where and is Harry? have heard some of them too. Yeah, and people mm-hmm. don't think that, you know, that Ron, that Harry, you know, lives in the dungeons with Snape and they obviously, you know, must be having a father son relationship. People just have in their minds, Harry moved in with Severus Snape, who's the weird guy. You know, the, like, this is like he wears a <laughs> weird all, kid with the weird guy. Yeah. Yeah, like this does not. You know, I always knew there was something going on with yeah, that kid. Yeah, ben. I mean, that it felt natural to me. And you know what the thing was? And here's the thing. During the scene in the bedroom, my reaction, I didn't think that Snape had any sexual motives. Like, my mind didn't go there. Like, I didn't think that. But, and I'm glad that even Harry addressed this, too. You don't, if you, if you have a 16-year-old kid and his life has changed, like, he, he he's lost his home and he's lost his eyesight, he's been tortured, you know, go down the list. All these awful things have happened to this poor kid. You know, telling him, you sleep in my bed tonight, that's weird. That, like, that, that it, it's... No, all... it's not! Well, it's no. medicinal! <laughs> but no, it's weird for a kid, because kids are uncomfortable. 16-year-olds, you know, like, when you reach the point when you... It's like, it's it's a modesty thing. Maybe it's a boy thing. It might be. It's a... You know what? No, I, I think it's fine so. sharing a bed with anybody. Well, no, let me ask you this. Jen, when you were 16 years old, did you have sleepovers? Yeah. And did you all girls like sleep in like, I'll I'll sleep with this guy. I'll sleep with this guy. When guys go away together, they don't like to sleep in the same bed. Yeah. That's stupid. It's not. I've noticed that. I would, yeah, I would like laugh. Like I had friends who were all guys and like one would like sleep in the bathtub, like retardedly on hotel trips. Yeah. Because they didn't want to sleep in the same bed with each other. I've noticed, like, the tuba boys are the exact same way. When we go on bull trips or whatever, like, the tuba girls, we all sleep in the same bed. We don't care. But the boys are like, okay, you get one bed. I'm going to sleep in the floor between the beds. You're going to sleep on the other bed, and then I'm going to sleep in the recliner, and then we're going to rotate so every other night somebody can sleep somebody in the bed. Somebody gets a bed. Yes. In the bed with each other. And we just actually lost Meg there. Her power went out. We send our well wishes to everyone in Wisconsin and hope her goat does not get struck by lightning. Yes, watch out for the lightning. But yeah, that makes perfect yeah. sense though because I've actually, like I've gone on like eighth grade field trips and roomed with a bunch of guys and we actually had the one guy who slept in the in the, in the in the tub on alternating nights because we don't, I mean yeah, so for a 16 year old to not only have to sleep in the bed with another guy but sleep in the bed with Severus Snape, it's weird and my only thing and maybe this is why I'm overdoing it and maybe Snape is awkward, you shouldn't ask the kids to do that because it is awkward and it is weird. Like even Harry said, I'd do this if I was four but <laughs> this is bizarre and he liked the fact that Snape showed the decorum and gave Harry his space there but that was a weird situation to be in and I like the fact that when, when well that kind of set up bells in my mind too if Jen hadn't told me there was no sex in this story there's no weird freaky like as an educator you're going 
I don't know, <laughs> 40-year-old man asking 16-year-old boy to sleep in bed with him. Like, you know, it's one of those things that is not normal that you're kind of trained to go, uh, I don't know. Well, you know it seems like, like a made-up answer. Well, I have to make sure you're not allergic to the Right. Movie. Like, that right. seemed like, you know, was, it seemed like a forced writing plot situation to get them into that. And, and to be honest, it really didn't add a lot to the story. So it wasn't really, like, necessary. Like, they have to right. have this defining moment. but. It was something that jumped at me. Yeah, and I like the fact that when Ron brings it up, it's it. What that adds to the I'm story. I'm in total disagreement with you. Why? I think it did add to the story, How and so? I think. Yeah, I do well, too. Can I, I just say I mean, that for those who haven't read the book, the story that they don't really sleep together, that Snape doesn't get into Snape bed. Snape stays at the desk, right? Because he makes right. the bed up Snape. for the decorum. He makes the bed up, and then he sleeps at the desk. Right. It's, because yeah, a few like times it was not... said they slept together. They didn't. He didn't get into bed with Harry. Yeah, that's actually – we really should say that. And I think what we're talking about isn't so much – like, we're using that as just, like, a shortcut. But we're actually talking about – Right, but well, if someone didn't read it... the story, they might get the wrong idea. Right, so and not. I just want to clarify. What I'm talking about is when Snape – Harry does not know that Snape will not sleep in the bed with him until after Harry agrees to stay. And that's... Well, and I want to make it clear that, like, to our listeners, that you have a problem with this scene, but I don't. I like this scene. I, I think we're coming across. Oh, as... I don't have. A, I don't have a problem with the scene. I think this scene, like, it shows. Uh, like, I'm saying, you know, that is a situation where you can see, you know, like where Snape is. You can see where Ron is coming from. Yes, you can see where. You Ron... know what I'm saying? Yeah, well, no, well, I, meant, well, no. I was talking about the sleeping scene. No, I'm talking about the sleeping scene, too, because Ron asks, like, have you ever slept in Snape's bed? And it's like an awkward moment. But what I'm saying is from that scene, Snape is obviously inexperienced at this because he should have anticipated that Harry would feel awkward in that situation, as Harry does. Harry does feel awkward in that situation. Yes, so. Chair up to his to Harry's bed, which is probably what he should have done. Yeah, and Harry's trying to get out of it. He's like, "Can't you come in my room? Can't you just sleep in the chair?" Like, you know, like like that should have set off bells and whistles and Snape that the kid who's offering to pay for his own Christmas present, you know, not really, but he's going there is asking Snape to stay up all night and sit in a chair and watch him sleep again. Like Snape didn't pick up on the fact that Harry was uncomfortable with the arrangement. Is what I'm going for there. It's one of those situations where Snape kind of forces his will on Harry, and it, and, it, and nothing happens, and it's obviously, you know, Snape stays in the desk all night and, and watches him sleep, and it's an, it's a very innocuous situation. But it does, you know, it does, what it leads to is it leads to Ron calling Harry on it, you know, they have the big fight, but what it leads to is Harry thanking Draco for not bringing it up. Draco could have really gotten in there and screwed their relationship up, Harry and Ron's, even more, well- and he doesn't do it. Eugene. And it also and it also brings up the importance of truthful dreams, and it shows like how important they are and how dangerous they can they are if not used properly or if you're allergic or or anything like that because that's a big part of the story later on. Exactly. Now, just because I don't want to stomp over your thoughts, like, do you have anything else you want to say on that one scene? Like, what you think? Well, of I I just feel like we're coming across as like this scene was just I didn't I didn't like it I didn't like their characterizations of it I didn't I didn't think that it was an important scene or I thought it was very forced but but I don't I don't I don't see it that way. Oh, I don't think that. And I just want to clarify maybe because I obviously can't listen to what I just said. I didn't want to come across that way because if I didn't like that, I would tell you. Um, I think that 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 what the scene itself adds to the story is it adds the. It adds several things. It adds another instance of Snape's decorum. It adds, um, you know, you could uh, you could read into it Snape's inexperience as a father figure, um, and, it, and it brings the truthful dream into the story, which is a huge emotional 
you know, moment for Harry. Um, you know, the, the whole sleep in my bed, you know, thing that, you know, doesn't really like, like he easily could have taken the sleepless dream and, you know, his, in, in his own bed. I mean, that, that wasn't really a big factor into it, except that it adds like the punchline with the fight with Ron. So, I mean, it, it does matter. It's not this earth shattering moment, I guess is, is, is what I was going for there, but, um, let's get to the fight. So they have, you know, this huge, you know, blow up fight. I loved Hermione's restraint throughout it. Like Harry literally, like he, he's, he's going to bring the ceiling down. He's so angry and he, he, he gets sort of the energy. The only way he can, he completely decks Ron and you have throughout the story, Harry's, you know, fear. Can I avoid that future? I saw in the dream. And he, he gets that moment where Draco says to him, you know, it looks like we're brothers. And Harry is thrilled that that is the moment when, 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 well, yeah, he laughs like yeah, he's he just laughs, so fulfilling that moment of the dream because that was it, and it doesn't, it doesn't, because you have the whole Harry jealousy, you know, I want Snape all to myself plot going, and Harry is relieved that that was the moment, and I'm assuming the moment comes later because it, it's kind of implied that it will, but um, you know, so you have Harry literally punch Ron, which is what was prophesized back in chapter whatever, chapter twelve, chapter twenty two, something like that. And, um, one of the early ones. And I like the fact that Hermione is restrained. Harry literally knocks Hermione to the ground, possibly. Yeah. Himself. I thought that was horrible. But cause I he, felt, yeah, I hit the girl. Well, he, yeah, he, he got, just hitting the girl. I don't think he hit the girl. Didn't he go for Ron and Hermione kind of got in the well, way? And he yeah, but knocked. still the girl got hit and like, but he didn't like on, punch on, Hermione. It's like, he, no, yeah. no, no, no. But still, she's the one that like got knocked over, and I was just like, "Yeah, that's when you know you've gone too far when you knock the girl over." And at the end of it, Hermione even like mouths like, "I'll talk to him." Like, and I, I love that the fact that Harry stayed firm. And here's the thing: Harry's spouting, "I'm a Slytherin, and I'm this, and Snape is my father." And I really think that he he's not comfortable saying any of those things yet. But he he is so loud because he is so pissed. And if it's making Ron uncomfortable, he's gonna be the ultimate Sl- Snape's kid. And he's gonna be He's going to call himself Harry Snape, even though he doesn't want to do that. Like, he's really going with it because it's, he, he's, if they're going to attack him for it, he's going to stand with it. And I like the fact that he's firm with Hermione. You know, like, just so you know, Draco Malfoy congratulated me, and you're the one who's here, you know, basically dumping shit all over me. And remember that. And Harry doesn't compromise to try and keep his friends. And Ron gave him the choice. I'm not sure what I feel about that choice. I'm not sure if I can see Canon Ron saying, you know, just tell us it never happened and we'll be okay with it. Like that, that was a good interpretation. I'm not sure if it's Canon, but I liked it. And Harry won't do it. Harry won't lie to Ron. And he, if he's going to go down and if they're not going to accept him, he's just going to do it. And I like that bravery on Harry's part. I thought that was a great moment. Yeah, it was. It really defined the uh, hatred that used to exist between Harry and Snape and how far Harry had come. I, I was just, I was thinking that's what's so important about these chapters. I think these chapters officially transition the story from, I mean, the last set of chapters was Harry going through Selwyn and yeah, so right? we, we, yeah, we had the Sawane chapters and we had kind then of like the long after midnight yeah. and then, yeah. okay. Oh, and then, okay. We well, know that, but this is where the family dynamic really starts. They, they've come together now as the three of them. And, and I think that's what, what the importance of these six or seven chapters were. 
Yeah, I think it's yeah, it's it's like the re, it's like the rethinking of everything in Harry's life. You know, his relationship with Ron and Hermione isn't going to go the way he thought it would. His relationship with Dudley Dursley, you know, he 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 ended up missing Dudley and wanting to spend his summer with Dudley, and he wants to see Dudley again. He's Severus Snape's son. He's Draco Malfoy's you know kindred brother. Like like who who would have thunk it? Like it's not anything that he would have expected, but nothing. Who would have thunk that when you're you know living in the cl- in the cupboard you're going to become you know the the magical you know heir to the wizarding world it's, harry's life is nothing but twists and turns and i you know, like obviously we've had some you know i've had some issues with how we got from there to here but you know what we're here now and i'm i liked how these chapters ended i love that harry went to sleep wondering if that was a word in wizard's scrabble that was great I yeah it. I, I thought that was a that was a, <laughs> great, that was a great place to end off but before we go tonight because i know jen has to get out of here for her vacation well, i want to talk about the well wish i want to talk about the well wish and i have to apologize to aspen because i gotta tell you i was reading the story a little quickly tonight to finish by recording time and when draco walks out of his bedroom i'm not gonna lie to you i'm picturing draco wearing a flower girl dress Okay. No, I couldn't stop it. It came out and it was stuck Just there. And don't do it again. No, I love this scene and I love this tradition. I thought it was so beautiful. I just love the idea of Draco changing it for adoption when really it's supposed to be for newborns. And I like, I like the whole concept of it. Yeah, I like. Yeah, it's just really touching and beautiful. And it was such a grown-up, mature gesture on Draco's part. And although he's, I mean, it shows, although he's so jealous and unhappy and, and about what's going on, he is mature enough to see the importance of what this is for Harry and Snape. And he, he does this as a sign of support for it. Yeah. Look at Draco throughout these chapters. I'm afraid I'm going to F this up for you. I'm afraid I'm going to say something that, you know, destroys the war effort. Like he's, he's not just, the guy looking out for his own skin. Like he did like, he, like he could have walked up to Harry, shook his hand, said congratulations. And that would have meant just as much. He put effort into this and that, that mattered. And I think they do have an arrangement when, when he, t- when he takes his shower, he tells Harry, don't look in that book. Harry says, I won't. If I tell you, I won't, I won't. And Draco's response is no, you won't. And, and, and there are some standards and there are some preset conditions that they know the other one will, will adhere to. And I, I think it's great too that, you know, he does that for, for Harry and look at the reaction the Gryffindors do. And what's interesting is you can debate whether or not Draco is really the character who would do that. And that's a fair criticism. You know, is that, you know, uh, something you could ever imagine Draco doing for the purposes of the story? I, I say, sure it is. But I think Ron and Hermione's reaction to it is wonderful. And I love a line Hermione had tonight when Hermione said, Harry, you know, we don't know how you got to this point. We haven't, and that's what I've been saying. You need to say that, you know, yeah, they don't get why Harry is so close to Snape and Harry should get that. They don't get why he is so close to Snape. So he should be trying to explain it better. And I like the fact that Hermione actually got it and actually said the smart thing there. And I just transitioned that back to Ron and Hermione. Sorry. Well, I just really like, Snape's reaction to Draco doing the well wish. And I, I have to say, I love her pure blood traditions that she gives them. Like she gives them this whole culture yeah. in background. And I think it's just so original and creative. She's so intelligent, isn't she? Asked oh my gosh. I don't know if y'all read summer at all. I just love the background. I won't go there, but I love that the background that she goes into detailing every little bit of everything 
background-wise, not just detailing what something looks like. I mean, she really thinks everything through. Incredible everything has a reason. And everything leads to something else. Its, it's flow is beautiful. Yeah. I mean, you can, you can find things that relate from one chapter to another, and they flow beautifully, and it doesn't look as if the author has gone back and plugged it in so that you can see foreshadowing, like in some stories. Yeah. It's like Aspen can think ahead so far and so completely that the story flows as if a real life, I don't know, a real life event is unfolding in front of you. Exactly. She just doesn't That's miss beautiful. anything. <laughs> Jen starts sobbing uncontrollably. That's beautiful. Really. Yeah, I love how you put that. That's so true. And as someone who's going through it for the first time, I'm glad to know I am both deep and profound. <laughs> and sexy. Ooh, and, that's new. Oh, She's, my God. Jen, Does can, you have a sexy voice? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> He's going to get such a big head. Can I just Let's point out? start that. We've had to push Rob's ego down. We really we have. That. We really have. I'm sorry. I'll work on that next week. So I want to say one of my favorite lines of this whole thing mm-hmm. is, I want to read this so everybody knows what I'm talking about. Draco is in pajamas and asks, why can't you call him Severus? He inquired as he leaned on one elbow to prop himself up. Harry shrugged, uh, sitting down to slip off his shoes. He massaged his left foot briefly. Though it was no doubt completely healed, it still did ache a bit. He's your father now, for Merlin's sake, Draco ex- exclaimed. Maybe that's just it, Harry murmured. Did you call your father Lucius? I can't think I'd have to call mine James had he lived. Draco choked back a laugh. You don't mean you're going to bow to your cousin's suggestion and start start calling him Dad, do you? Uh, I'd like to see the look on Severus's face. Dad's not right either, admitted Harry. Or anything else I can think of. Try Paul. Paul. I just, I just can't imagine Paul saying state. that's Paul. <laughs> I love the That's fact. Where, I love the fact when Harry's going on, like you know, my name's gonna be Harry Snape, and Snape is like, "Father, focus on the sound <laughs> of my voice." Come back. You can Earth to Potter. Yeah, it's like when he's he's in ultra dense mode, and it's uh, it was definitely a head desk moment. I love that. Yeah, there were lots of little lines buried throughout these chapters. Um, They're that, just so funny. Yeah, it's it's just it's such good stuff, and it's just such it's such fun stuff. like. There's just so much great. There's so much great work in there. Um, Chee, what was the one I sent you earlier tonight that I really loved? Do you remember? Um, no, but I can pull it up. Oh, and while she's pulling that up, I want to say how much I really liked the um, another layer of Harry that we get to see unfold about the not eating when you're worried, yeah. and and that he went, you know, and and that it didn't even cross Draco and, and Snape's mind that he wouldn't eat. Yeah, this is uh, this is this is Ryan's favorite line. I think uh, trying to teach it certainly is. Snape agreed. True prophecy is spontaneous, but there is such a thing. You will have the powers dark. The Dark Lord knows not, Harry. Voldemort. Harry reminded him. Direct quotation. Snape countered. Eat some protein. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> that was great. Yeah, like moments like that had me cracking up. And 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 we're we're, we're getting out of here for tonight. And I just want to say like. When I started these chapters, I was very concerned that I would not, 
like I hit a point in the story where maybe I just like I I couldn't do it, and I was fearing that would happen. And the more I read, the more I liked, and I definitely we went out on a high tonight. And as many you know issues as I may have had at the time, it's possible I just had indigestion and I was just in a bad mood. I don't know, but I definitely like where we're getting to right now. We're more than halfway through with the story. Actually, we're not even halfway through the story. <laughs> we're almost halfway through Almost the story. there. And next week, Jen is only assigned just five chapters, so I'm assuming they either get really long or something blows up. I have no earth idea. <laughs> and if I'm profound in these chapters, you know, like, go me, go me, also have a sexy voice. So for I- next week's episode, we're going to read chapters 46 through 50, and we'll be prepared to discuss those next week. Just it- not sexy at all. Yeah, not sexy. Yeah, that, that was me at my sexiest. <laughs> So, if anyone has any thoughts on any chapters that we have discussed up to and including chapter 50, send us in a voicemail. You can uh, find contact information uh, coming up shortly. And if you have any messages for Aspen, if you have any questions for Aspen, anything that you would like to direct to Aspen, she is listening to every word we're saying and she will hear you. So, definitely feel free to send in messages for Aspen as well. And I think that's it. Anyone have anything else? Nope. Go Cats. Nope. <laughs> Tomorrow's, on Saturday, Saturday's game day. Go Cats. That's it. Oh. I have done. Go Penn State. And have a good night, everybody. Bye. Good night, everybody. Good night, folks. Have a good week. I love you. Hey, everybody. This is Rinna, and this is the second installment of Rinna Recommends. Uh, this week's recommendation is instead of several authors, I'm just going to recommend the general works of one person who is one of my all-time favorite authors, one of the first people I ever actually read when I came to the fandom. That is the incomparable creative Quill. Uh, her works housed at uh, fanfiction.net. She has several chaptered stories, several series, as well as a handful of one-shots. And as I said in the first week, I'm not usually a fan of one-shots, but I, I have enjoyed some of hers in the past. Uh, very specifically, one of the very first fics I ever read was her Harry Potter and the Power of Truth and its sequel, Harry Potter and the Power of Faith. These stories are amazing. They take the premise that the magical world is actually real. Her work is so vivid and it's so plausible and so believable. I I tend not to be a fan of a lot of um, the so-called AU stories where they uh, go away from the canon. But in stories like, like Power of Truth and Power of Faith, she's very upfront about, you know, this is what is canon and this is what isn't canon. And the way she does it is just incredible. And it's a fantastic read. As, w- as well as all of her other work. There are no bad stories in the bunch, really. So I will provide a link. It will be on the website. So check it out at Potterfic Weekly. And take a gander over at Creative Quill. And I guarantee you won't be disappointed. Happy reading! If you've heard anything in this episode that you would like to comment on or would like to contribute to the show, you can email any of our staff at their names at potterficweekly.com or you can email staff at potterficweekly.com. If you would like to send in a voicemail message, you can either call 781-352-0643 and you can leave a voicemail up to two minutes in length or you can email us an audio file to our email address, and we can play that on the show. You can also download a program called The Gizmo Project, and you can uh, contact us that way through your computer. For more information, visit potherfickweekly.com.